Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. So I was just asking uh, one of my uh, friends and reporters off the air, Jessica Rivera, who just started with us uh, Monday. She's a professional broadcaster, lots of, of uh, experience, and now is helping us out Mondays, um, about Vivek Ramaswamy, who, who I've been calling uh, uh, Obama Swampy, <laughs> because I just don't trust him at all. I think he's a total fraud. Anyway, uh, but I said, how come he can afford his own political event? He's got his own campaign event. Nobody else does. The goobers don't. So I'm like, how can he do that? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> so, and then she reminded me that uh, he's got his own money. I'm thinking, well, okay, what is he spending his own money? Is that really his own money? Anyway, it's enough of a politics. Let's. Uh, uh, I need. I need a theme. <laughs> well, there's Pianca on the line too, so maybe he can answer the question. Depending on music, I can. I can introduce. Uh, oh, let's let's have a little fun this morning. It's not playing. I'm not playing. Well, I heard my intro. That's not good. All right, let's try this again. First of all, let's bring on Tara D with the uh, Santa Rosa County uh, Animal Shelter Report. I was trying to play something. Did you hear any music or no? I heard, uh, I, I think it was America at the very beginning. America the Beautiful, yeah. I didn't hear it at all. Let me try it mm-hmm. again. I was going to do something kind of cool. But if I can't play my things, let's see what plays. No, I can't hear a thing. Great. I can't hear my sound effects. Oh, that's going to be uh-huh. interesting. That's going to make for an interesting day. Oh, let's turn it off again. All right. Oh, so much for that. I was going to do a, a, a real patriotic pet thing. I was going to kind of make it up on the spot. But so much for that. That's our glitch for today. I can't hear my own stuff. All right. That's no good. Oh, that, that, can, anyway. that can be pro- uh, problematic, I would think. I would think so. Well, it doesn't happen very often, but everything happens sometime. You know, sometimes the, <laughs> the, the show just completely blanks out. <laughs> you know, sometimes mm-hmm. I have to call in by cell phone. Uh, I don't have the DVD meter. Sometimes I sneeze like now. Hang on. I'm going to have to mute myself here. Oh, good. <laughs> I got the button at the right time. <laughs> I didn't shut the show off. So this is good. That's Friday. Oh, that's right. a good, good thing. Yeah, things, things yeah, are looking up already. They are, yeah, except I can't hear my own stuff. I wonder if this is just that one or maybe it's something else. Let me try something else just for the fun of it here. Oh. This is Greg Penglis. Okay, that one's working. I wonder why this one isn't working. Oh, now it's working because I sneezed. And now... A patriotic moment with our patriotic pets with Tara D of the Santa Rosa County Animal Shelter. Do you have a pet? Good morning, if everyone. Not, you should. What, there we go. Okay, you go ahead. You do it. <laughs> okay, sorry. Good morning, everyone. Yeah, and then I'll go back to you. Oh, thank you. Pets are America. America is pets. Dogs and cats built this nation. You think you could cross the prairies without your dog or your cat? Do you think you could have survived the rat invasion without your cats? Do you think you could have herded your sheep and cattle without your dogs? You could, you could, you think you could hunt without your dogs? Do you think you could get along without that little Yorkie yapping in your lap? This is America. <laughs> America is pets. Pets are us. And now Tara D with the Santa Rosa County Animal Shelter pet update. <laughs> I like it. I like it. 
Yeah, very patriotic I, and origin like I it. I literally made that up on the spot, but uh, I might. Uh, <laughs> I might. I tend to do that. Well, no, I started doing. I, Bill Fecky was the first victim, and what he started, he was like really ranting. He was, he was good, and he was like going on and on. So I just started playing in the background. He's like, "What's that?" I said, "No, just keep going, Bill." Oh, okay. <laughs> so he, he ran with it, and he had this really great rant. And then I, then I, we had Christina Bob, who's Trump's attorney, right? So she started mm-hmm. ranting on. So I, so I said, oh, I said, keep going. I said, I'll give you a little music. And she wasn't into it. <laughs> so then I ranted. You know, I mean, it's just, uh, this show is so hey, spontaneous. Hey, it, it adds a little oomph to it. So I like it. Oh, yeah. Nobody knows. And then Pianchi says, where did you go? And I sneezed. <laughs> that's what I mean. <laughs> Apparently after I sneezed, it worked. <laughs> so that, that's, that's, you know, usually you get like a hammer and you hit something and then it, then it works. But no, in this case. Then it comes so, back it, on, right. so if your radio show doesn't work, try sneezing. <laughs> yeah, I have some stuff I nearby. Yeah. Work. Exactly. Well, now that we've digressed thoroughly, why don't you introduce yourself once again and we'll get back on you know, so we'll <laughs> okay. to get back on topic. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so hi everybody. I'm Tara D. I am with Santa Rosa County Animal Services. Uh, we are located at four four five one Pine Forest Road in Milton, Florida. Our cell phone or our number is eight five zero nine eight three four six eight zero. Our website is santarosa.fl.gov slash animals, and we also are on Facebook and Instagram. Well, that sounds good. Um, I would recommend giving your, your cell phone number. You might get a call from Cuba or, you know, Belarus or any of the other places yeah. we happen to reach. You know, <laughs> well, or someone wants yeah. to sell those solar panels and, and whatnot. So. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We see. see I, don't, I don't get a lot of soliciting, um, but uh, I know people, well, you know, the, I think the soliciting quotient increases depending on how crowded your living situation. If you're one of the newer housing developments where the houses are like six inches apart, it, it's mm-hmm. you know it, it's it's good to be a, a traveling salesperson because you got so many uh, you know houses. But if you're in these areas where you have like an acre or a half an acre, nobody wants to knock on their doors. It's just too far away. You spend all your time oh, you know true. walking and driving between places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But isn't that better for pets though? I mean, now that I segued into it, you know, these, are these houses uh, good for acres? people? Well, I'm just thinking. Um, we I get, think it's, go it's ahead. a person on the family. Yeah. Oh. So, you know, if the owner is a responsible pet owner, which we talk about that a lot, which it really goes back to at least 50% of the issues or more go back to that. So if they make sure the animal gets proper exercise, and it doesn't have to be a huge art, but you might have to put a little effort in there, maybe walk them. And it's mm-hmm. always good if you have a dog to walk them. And I'm guilty of not doing it as often as I should as well. But that creates a bond with your pet, and it gives them manners and exercise. So if you just have them in the yard, they're just a yard dog. If you ever have to go to the vet, they're not going to know what a leash is. They're not going to know how to act mm-hmm. around others. Walking is very important. It's exercise. It's good mental stimulation, physical activity for the dog and for yourself. And it's just a positive thing. So even if you have a small yard, you can do steps. excuse me, to make sure that your dog gets proper exercise. And it's really important. It makes a huge difference in their overall health, the same as it does with humans. Yeah. Yeah. Unless I had, uh, you know, a big property that needed guarding, I probably wouldn't have a dog. You know, I'd like to have a big yard for them. I was just thinking if I had like guard dogs, I'll name them, you know, Genghis Khan, Hannibal, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Alexander the Great, all the great, you know, conquerors in history that would be named for my dogs. But uh, mm-hmm. I don't I just think the small yards, it's it's not as conducive um, to pets, especially, you know, when you're walking your, well, here's a question too. Pianchi's on the line. He wants to talk to you. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, people who walk dogs in crowded neighborhoods where other people are walking dogs, how do you deal with dog uh-huh. conflicts? especially if you have like a big dog, you know, you're walking your Rottweiler and, and, uh, and, uh, you know, Pepe the Chihuahua, Chihuahua walks by. <laughs> it's not an equal situation mm-hmm. right there. So how do you, yeah, how do well, you, you how hopefully, should owners channel that? So 
So hopefully you want to have control of your animal. That's the key because he's right. your responsibility. If your dog hurts someone else, it's on you. It's, you're on the hook for it. So that's where coming, you know, if you're walking, yes. If you're walking okay. your dog on a regular basis, then your dog is going to know he better mind you because that's part of the it's part of the, the bond. You know, he does what you ask of him. And hmm. so if you're walking your dog, even if he's reactive, you should be able to walk him. And then if you see a dog, you know, scoot to the other side of the road as a precaution if your dog is reactive to other dogs. I have a Rottweiler um, that was my mother's, and he is super, super strong. And now that I have back issues, I actually have some trouble walking him. So my boyfriend Ooh, mostly no. has to walk him. Yeah, and yeah. so, it, but he is good with other dogs. But if a dog mm-hmm. comes up to him and is, you know, got an attitude, he'll kind of give it back. So we're just always cautious when we do go places. He may, I make sure he walks the dog so he can handle them and he, we have a special uh, harness leash that we use with him to give more control, and basically just you know, make saddle. sure that we're kind of aware. <laughs> yeah. No, he's actually the small one. My other girl is bigger than him, so so yeah. I have I have the big guys. So but we just make sure that you know we are aware of our surroundings. If we see another dog, you know, and if that dog looks, you know, if it's a cute little puppy, okay, cool if it comes up. But if it looks like a big burly guy that's kind of barking already looking like he's not sure about the situation we're just going to stay on the other side of the road since there's no confrontation because it's not worth it to take a chance with your dog or with another one's pet so yeah yeah i'll get pianki's question in a second but i want to ask you another one Uh, do dogs i imagine they're they're somewhat like people in that uh like kids you know so if you're Mm -hmm. kind of a weak if you're a weak parent and you've got like a big you know a uh, football player, high school football player to like, you know, four foot eight mom, you know, especially if she's not real <laughs> strong, then, then the high school kid's going to be a lot more reactive. Uh, so, so is walking, a, if your boyfriend walking a Rottweiler, uh, especially if he's a big guy, is that better? Does the Rottweiler respect him more? Uh, not that he wouldn't respect you, but outside it might be mm-hmm. more, you know, I mean, if I were um, a big dog, I'd probably want to take liberties if I had a small owner and I could like carry them with me, you know, all over yeah. the place. Uh, yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, no, ab- actually, for mine, mine is just my back, and I'm I'm a, trying not to make it worse. So I'm like, hey, you walk him, right. and he spends a lot of one-on-one time with him. So yes, dear. like if somebody gets hurt, it's going to be you. So, but he, yeah. you know, he does very well with him. But you know, before I had my back in such disarray, I would you know walk my big dogs all the time, no problem. And it's a matter right. of just making you know making sure they know that they have to mind you, and that's very important. And like uh, one of our rescue groups is called the Joy Committee. We work with them. We've worked with them for many years. They primarily do German Shepherds. Uh, One of the top ladies of the rescue is maybe 90 pounds, soaking wet. She's a teeny petite little lady, and she will handle Shepherds like nobody's business because she has that commanding presence, and she knows how to train them. Yeah, and she knows what to do, so she has no trouble with, with these big, huge Shepherds, like probably that outweigh her very easily and she is like they are like okay mom whatever you say so it's just a matter of knowing what you're supposed to do with the pet and you know and like you know and like with children if you let them get away with things they're going to push the boundaries so you have to set boundaries just like you do with children and you have to you know you have to uh enforce those if you let your dog get on the couch sometimes and then you're like oh you're not supposed to be up here well he's assuming well you let me up there yesterday so you yeah. just want to be consistent because it's more, it's easier for them if they know what their boundaries are. And then, you know, if you want to let them on the couch, that's your business. My dog is on the couch all the time, but some people are not okay with that. So you kind of need to stick to that. If that's if that's going to be how things go, just keep it consistent for the pet. It's, it's easier to train if you're consistent. 
Yeah, that makes sense. And and the worst one, I think. Uh, sorry, Pianki, one more question. Uh, the worst one mm-hmm. is when people they they uh, yell at the dog, "Come here, come here!" And of course, the dog does. Then they hit the dog. It's like you idiot. You just yeah. told the dog to come to you. It did what you said, and then you hit it. You know, because they think they're punishing yeah. the dog for so, running away. But the dog, exactly. all the dog goes and is, then the, "Oh, you, 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 I, oh, I watch I towards you, and you and hit I me." Get <laughs> exactly. Some, and then the dog goes back the next time. Then they get mad. The owner gets even madder. It's like you, you're not thinking like a dog, you idiots. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Oh yeah, and that's like I, you know, I had a situation where my dog got. Uh, I have the two dogs that don't like each other, so one of them was in the house with the other one, and I was like, oh my gosh! So I started to panic, and so I called the one dog upstairs, and I did it with a, a forceful voice, and she was like, I'm not coming to you. What's going on? So I had to go, come on, <laughs> and then she came right up, you know, and I was like, okay, yeah. she's thinking she's in trouble. She's not going to come to me. So there's things like that you have to be aware of. I know like our trainer at at, um, the shelter. So when she's working with dogs that maybe have a little reactivity or behavior, taking them out of the kennel and if they're acting like, you know, doing the alligator roll and jumping and being very mouthy, she will Mm -hmm. not walk them until they calm down. And that that's going to enforce to them, oh, I've got to behave if I want to get out of this kennel. Because if you take them out when they're acting all crazy, they're just going to think, oh, that's the way to get out. I just jump and make yeah. enough noise, they're going to get me out of here. So by taking that extra minute to let them calm down and sit, then they know, oh, okay, this is what is expected to me. I have to be good if I want to go have yard time and, and have play time. So just little things like that is, is enforcing the good behavior instead of the bad behavior. Yes, good behavior will be rewarded. Bad behavior will be punished. Anyway, I'm sorry. I just... Yes, oh, and please. then some people, <laughs> you know, some people don't have boundaries with their pets and they let their pets get away with everything. And that's sometimes it's not a big deal. But if you have a big, strong dog, you definitely want to be able to handle them without a danger to someone else. You don't want them getting loose from you and running into the street or mm-hmm. running to another pet if they're reactive. So just some things to think about. There's lots of great training programs and trainers. If you don't have enough money to do a training program yourself, there are lots of, um, you know, you can go to the ASPCA and things like that on the websites and they have good tips. And there's lots of YouTube videos nowadays that you can get good information as well. Hmm. Interesting. I got another question for you, but I want to get to Pianchi. Um, mm-hmm. Pianchi, you got a question for, for Tara D? Well, I was going to ask her. Good morning. Good morning. Why some people don't pick up after their dogs more often? <laughs> you know, that is <laughs> a great question. And people grass. are lazy. Yes, they are, they need to carry poop bags because let me tell you, um, we do have a couple dogs at the shelter right now that had hookworms. And it's it can be contagious. So if a dog has an infestation, and they poop somewhere, and another dog runs through it. They can pick up that. Um, they can pick up that parasite. So, very important to pick up after your dog. And it's it's a courteous thing to do. It's rude to let your dog, you know, do their business in someone else's property and then just leave it. That's that's kind of rude. So, if people could be courteous, pick up after the dog. It's going to keep all the dogs healthier, and it's just nicer. And no well, one wants to step in doggy do. Yeah, the parents. Well, that? I mean, that, that's just it's just horrible. I mean, that, that was always a, it couldn't stand that when I was you know slipping some dog's poop. But uh, but the parasite yeah. aspect is, is something I never thought of. That's really interesting. So uh, mm-hmm. other, and of course dogs run to it because it's like ooh who's in the neighborhood now? I mean they, yeah dogs, what, exactly yeah they run to you know well, so why is that dogs smell is ten times ten thousand times more sensitive than ours and they love smelling the most disgusting things. How is that possible? Yeah. How do they do I that? think it's the, it, with people too, you know, because if somebody's like, oh, this smells awful, and then everybody wants to smell it to see what it smells like. So oh, I think okay. it's just, you know, I don't think it, but, you know, they do. They can smell things. Wait, and it's interesting because, and, and hearing too, it's like 
you don't hear anything and the dog's already alert and someone's at the door and you're like, nobody's out there. And then three minutes later, I guess when the person like got out of their car, walked up the driveway, knocked on the door, then you know someone's there, but they already knew it and they've already determined if it's a threat or not. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah. Huh. So how can they, do they hear, I I thought they hear, hear different frequencies, but I didn't know they actually hear better, but their hearing is much more sensitive, right? Yes, like, um, well, yeah, because they have the, you know, they can hear higher pitches than us, and I don't know all the, right. all the uh, details on that, but, you know, the dog, I don't know about the dog whistles because I'm not a dog, so, but, you know, if you play music or something, you can tell when the dog can, is, is noticing the difference on the pitch and things like that, and for us, we're like, oh, we don't know any, we couldn't tell any difference, so... Well, I don't tend to play things above my hearing range because what's the point? <laughs> you know, I play it pretty high up on the guitar, though. I do get off the fretboard, play some really high notes. And that's when the dog across the street goes, oh, Greg's playing, bark. <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny. But, yeah, they can hear it, too. That's that's interesting. But, uh, you know, um, but especially for a lot of noises around dogs, too. I mean, people that take dogs hunting, do they think about the dog's hearing? I mean, you know, you could be really damaging dog hearing especially the higher frequencies, because those yeah. are the ones that get, that dan- you know, with, with people, I know this because I studied this for a while, that uh, the higher mm-hmm. frequencies, you know, the, the, the thinner hairs, the nerve cells, they're the ones that go. And those are the ones where you can tell consonants and other things. And that's when you can always tell a hearing loss with somebody, you know, if they're in a restaurant and there's background noise because the, 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 the higher tones are gone and they can't hear those, those consonants, those S's and H's, and they're sort of all kind of mushed together. So I'm just wondering about, did right. people think about protecting dog hearing? You know, especially like we've talked fireworks you know, before, I'm, gunshots, you know, backfiring trucks, yeah, truck, even truck mechanic stuff. That's you know. a good question. Yeah. Huh. I think that some, I think as a whole, hunters probably don't, but I'm sure there are hunters that possibly do things for their dogs. But I think uh-huh. it's one of those things that just kind of overlooked as a whole, you know. Um, but I know that, you know, as, as things progress in the animal world, I know there's a lot you know, a lot of people are doing things that they didn't do before. They didn't think of, you know, taking their dog out while they're putting booties on them so their feet don't get burnt or, mm-hmm. or if they're in the ice so they don't get frozen. So things like that where maybe it wasn't a deal before, but people are like, oh, you know what? I'm, I'm noticing that this is a problem or I need to adjust mm-hmm. this. So let's figure out something that's helpful for the dog. And so I think people do try to do, if it's easy and it can be, you know, something that pe- all people can access, I think. People will do it, animal people, I would say. But then there's always going to be a sector of people that think of animals as disposable, secondary, as property, mm-hmm. and they're not, going to, they're not going to do anything extra other than feed them and maybe if they're lucky, get a pat on the head. Yeah, I noticed that when I was flight instructing and people would take their dogs flying and they'd wear a headset. So they're protecting their hearing mm-hmm. and, of course, they do, they do nothing for the dog. Now, there actually are dog headsets. You know, they're like uh, mm-hmm. dog and cat little muffler things so that they, because they, there's the noise inside an airplane that's not really soundproof like most of them. Uh, it's pretty loud and you really can't hear. I mean, mm-hmm. in the old days, you know, we didn't have much hearing protection. But uh, as we got smarter, you know, we all wear our Dave Clarks. You know, it's that green headset you see all the time, but they can actually protect uh, hearing for animals, too. People should think about that, especially if you have a loud truck, a big diesel, you know, or anything that's that's loud because the hearing is so sensitive. Mm-hmm. You know, there are products out there. Do you guys, have you looked into that in the shelter at all that maybe something you could offer for people, you know, that, uh, you know, when Billy Bob comes in, as well, I want to go get on a bloodhound. I'm going to go hunting. And we say, well, you know, have you thought of hearing protection for your animal when you're shooting? Well, I never really thought about that, but thanks very much. Sounds like a good idea. My apologies to my <laughs> redneck brethren uh, but I, it's just it, it's another thing you can offer i do accents for fun but it's, it's kind of it's a, it's a hobby 
But uh, ooh, where do we get the Indian one to put the curry on, uh, on your chicken tandoori? be a wonderful time. Thank you very much. Anyway, um, sorry. <laughs> is, yeah. We should talk about what, what dishes. Yeah, I don't, I don't like think, cause, well, we don't really yeah. sell anything, you know. So uh-huh. we, we, we don't really sell any items for the animals. We just, hey, take the dog or take the cat. We're, we're just focused yeah. on getting them to a home. So, But, you uh-huh. know, for an accessory shop or something, that might be a, that yeah. might good, be a good little, little option. I'll check that hearing. Pet. But, you know, well, you see animals yeah. with the goggles on um, not mm-hmm. all the time. But I've seen that fairly often. Animals have the little cute little goggles, and they're cute, but all, when the dog sticks his head out of the, the car window, he's got little cute goggles to protect his eyes. So that's that's uh, that's a that's really problem, more isn't it? They, they, I mean, they do get stones and things, you know, up in, they do get stones and things up in their eyes when they're hanging their heads out, right? I mean, that is a real thing. Oh, they could, yeah, like or bugs, even a bug at, you know, Ugh. 50 miles an hour in your eyeball is not going to feel good, so... And dogs love to stick their heads out the window, so we don't, we're not saying don't allow them to do that. But, right. you know, if you throw some goggles on them, then they're going to be safe, and they'll look really cool, too. So then everybody's going to go, look at that cute dog with the goggles on. So flying you'll scarf, get a lot little, of, uh, you know, you'll get a lot of attention as well. So little helmet, like, little flying scarf. Yeah, you'd be all set. That's fun. Uh-huh, um, absolutely. But, but why do dogs do that? Is, is any, anybody ever figured out why they do that? They just like the fresh air or I what? Just, I think they had they love the wind in their face. Honestly, I don't know if there's a scientific huh. reason other than they just have a joy for life. It's that fun. sometimes I think we overlook. <laughs> yeah, and they're like, "This is cool. Let's do it." You know, whereas people are like, "My hair or whatever." You know, so the yeah, same well, thing. I think the same reason that some people. Well, yeah, I was <laughs> going to say the same reason some people have convertibles and some people will never have one. It's just right. you know difference in personalities. But dogs as a whole, I think they love it. Yeah, makes sense. Okay, what do we got for critters this week? Um, let's see. So we have uh, lots of lovely. So we were pretty empty in our cat adoption area, but that is no longer the case. Uh, oh. We have, I think, about 25 kittens up for adoption. Some of our long timers, we had Link, who was a beautiful orange tabby. He got adopted last week, so super happy for that. Now oh. we've got uh, pretty much all the uh, adoptables for cats are all kittens, probably six months or under. So if you're looking for a kitten, it's a great time to come. So uh, it it's a ten dollar adoption fee, and that includes stay and neuter, microchipping, and age appropriate vaccinations. So you're going to get a fantastic deal. And also, we are starting the Bissell Empty the Shelter event that starts on October first, and that runs through the fifteenth. And so that what that is is just kind of a national thing the Bissell Foundation does. So when you go to the, the shop the and you get a vacuum cleaner, scrubbers, rug shampoo, who is Bissell? Yes, so the cleaning Crosswave products? and all that. Yes, they do um, cleaning products, vacuums, um, shampoos, and, you know, some some companies, they say they support animal welfare. These guys absolutely put their money where their mouth is. They created huh. uh, one of the family members, Kathy Bissell, created the Bissell Foundation, and so they do a lot with animal welfare. They send a lot of money out to shelters and rescues every year, and they're highly involved in animal rescue. So, you know, they've helped our shelter directly when we had a hoarding case a couple years back. And we were able to save over 80 dogs and get them out to other rescues thanks to their efforts. So they're fantastic. So, um, the, yeah, when you have when you have 80 dogs, it's no longer you're an animal lover. Like that's a serious issue. And unless you are like you know have an organization that you're running, but a single person caring for 80 dogs is just you know. And the intentions are good, but there there are issues at play there. And it's a serious thing. So, you know, that wow. was, uh, I believe it was, I'm trying to think of the month. It was it December, January, maybe January 20, February 2022. I mean, that's a pack. So that's, we, that's if they ever got out, that's a wild pack. 
you know, of, of animals. Eighty, yeah, eighty dogs is just it's it was a crazy amount, and it was just a huge undertaking. But um, yeah, we did great with the community. Um, the Bickle hmm. Foundation assisted us many rescues, so we were able to get like eighty-five dogs uh, out of the shelter and out of this condition into safety. So it was a, a good a good way to show that the community working together can make mountains move. So it was great. But um, yeah, the Bissell Foundation, we're going to do $5 adoptions October 1 through October 15, and that's for cats and dogs. So we're excited about that because it gets people mm-hmm. in and we get to show them our animals and then they get a really low adoption fee. So that money they were going to take to adopt the pet, they can just take that to get their flea and tick prevention, heartworm prevention with their vet, and just kind of stock up on supplies that they would need. Hmm. Makes sense. Okay. Yeah. So, and for so, dogs, yeah. Um, uh-huh. yeah, so for dogs, no, go I've got little Dan, who was in my office a couple weeks ago, and he came down with kennel cough, which kennel cough is kind of like just, you know, common cold for dogs. And they'll have some upper respiratory, they'll have some, <clears throat> excuse me, some coughing, and so they get a course of antibiotics. Um, yeah, okay. it sounds like it, doesn't it? <laughs> it, it, could, it could be. I don't know. But so he went to a foster home and so he got over that because it is contagious to other dogs. And so he's all ready to go now. So he's back ready for adoption. So we have listed him as available on the, do- on the adoption site. And he's just a sweet little puppy. I say little, but he's just a little chunky guy and very, very affectionate and loving. So go check him out on our website. He's up for adoption again now. And then we've got a little tyke named Cooper. So Cooper is a, uh, I would say he almost looks like Golden Retriever, but in a long-haired Dotson body. He's about mm, 25 pounds. Gentleman found him, hung on to him for the foster period of about a month, tried to work with him until we had space to bring him in. And he's very fearful, but he's coming around. And we initially thought he didn't like dogs, but I think maybe he's just a little unsure of himself. But we just got him neutered, medical clear. He's up to speed. He's a beautiful little dog, just absolutely cute as pie. And he just came available for adoption a couple days ago, so we don't think he'll last long. But he does need to be probably an adult-only household because I don't know that he has been around any children. Hmm. I just got a note from uh, from Mark on the Netherlands. Uh, t- t- says, isn't that the law we were talking about uh, picking up after your dog from Bianchi's question? Is the dog owners here uh, have to carry their plastic bags? I think they have to do here as well, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it, it sounds like uh, yeah, you know, I think I mean, most civilized countries. Little, <laughs> yeah, yeah teeny little rolls that will fit in your pocket, and they're just super easy to carry. And then most people wouldn't mind you using their trash, you know, their trash receptacle if you have something to put in there if it's, you know, bagged up, obviously. So No, take it home. Carry it with you in your pocket. Come on, be civil. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's or carry a bag uh, with you. If your dog is, likes to have lots of pit stops, you can just throw it in a Walmart. Well, yeah, the, and this is where the big dog comes in, you know, especially – I don't want to get too graphic in the morning because people are still having, you know, coffee and breakfast. But, uh, you know, if you need a dog, it's a big dog. It's a big poop, so you need a big bag. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, yeah, it can be a lot, absolutely. Uh, oh, no. Well, how much can a big dog eat per week? I'm just curious, you know, um, well, so like pounds. it depends on their dog their dog food. So like for my dog, she is about 150. Uh, she's a mastiff, and right. so her um, her scheduled food according to her weight is like six cups a day. So she gets fed in the morning and then the evening, and then I cut back a little bit because she's 
chunky, and we're trying to get mm-hmm. a little weight off of her. And then Ooh. the Rottweiler boy, I think he gets a little bit less, but it depends on the dog food. Usually there's a recommendation on there of how much to feed them. But if you feed them better quality food, then sometimes you don't feed them as much. If you feed them a cheaper dog food, there's a lot of fillers in there, and sometimes you might have to give them more food. So um, just check your recommendations. And check with your vet, too, because you might think it's okay your dog to be getting six cups a day and he's 40 pounds, then he's probably going to be 50 pounds. So yeah. you may be overfeeding him. So, so dogs will eat. Overfeeding is a problem. That's actually that's a good Do question. Do you give them greens? Greens? Well, I know green beans are a great uh, a great additive to their diet because they're relatively no calories. So a lot of the veterinarians will recommend if you're trying to put your dog on a diet and you want to supplement them because they're still hungry, it's called a green bean diet, and you just kind of supplement them, take some of their kibble out and replace it with green beans because it's a nice filler, but it's tasty and they like it. I'm not sure about greens as a whole probably, but I wouldn't say for sure because I don't know the list. I know there's certain foods that obviously chocolate that they cannot eat, but also onions can be toxic to pets and grapes and some things you wouldn't think. So it's always best to get out the old Google and check it out if you're unsure and have, you know, there's the AVMA, American Veterinary Medical Association, and they usually have a list on there where you can look and see what's what's safe for them and what isn't. I'm just wondering with the, uh, speaking of getting disgusting again, the current push by the Bill Gates and crew to have uh, people eat bugs. Are they putting bugs in dog food or other processed (laughs) weird things? I mean, there might be somewhere. I'm sure there's some in there we don't know about, but um, ideally, like, Mm -hmm. You know, everything is so processed now, and a lot of the people are going to what they consider a raw diet, and it's basically they're just feeding them ground meat, vegetables, Mm -hmm. uh, certain things like that. I mean, if you can afford to do that and if you have the time to do that, I would say absolutely it's the way to go, but a lot of people Mm -hmm. are not are just not capable of doing that or not able to financially because it can be pricey. If you have a little dog, it's probably not going to be very bad on you. But if you have a lot of big dogs, it may be too costly, but it's going to be better for the dog. Anything that's less processing, obviously, same for them as it is for us. When we eat a bunch of garbage, we feel lousy and we get chunky and we have health issues as opposed to healthier food. It's the same for our animals too. Yeah. Now, dogs are mammals. Cats are mammals. We're not that different. You know, and, and so is yeah. are, the, are the food requirements that different? I mean, they're they're both carnivores, you know, dogs and cats. So I don't expect to feed them a lot of you know oatmeal and stuff like that. But uh, as far right. as it's, eating um, meat and vegetables, meat. is that uh, why would that not be? I mean, what do they eat in the wild? Do they eat meat? <laughs> you know, they yeah, catch. exactly. Well, yeah, and another thing. So the, not a knock against vegans or vegetarians in any way, shape, or form, but I know that there was a movement to have food that didn't have any meat or meat products because of, you know, but they're built for that. So, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, <clears throat> the predators. And they Hello. were finding that, that yeah, so they were finding that that when they were kids. <laughs> I mean, did you, yeah. did you guys watch Wild Kingdom? The, the big cats yeah, and, some big, and wolves. Yeah, some by some of those. Absolutely. Yeah, they eat meat. Yeah. Well, some of those things were, yeah, they were pretty graphic. Th- That's true, but yeah, anyway, yeah. Yeah, Those it was a little, it was a little, scary to watch as a kid, but it's like, oh, no, these poor animals. But I think they were doing some studies, and, you know, I don't want to quote specifically, but I remember reading that there were health issues with animals on specific foods that did not have certain things. So it's like, you know, maybe not be, if you want to choose that for yourself, but don't force it upon your pet because that's not how they're geared. So, you know, just talk with your veterinarian about any choice that you decide to make on any food change up or switching to a different diet or if you're concerned I know for a long time it was grain free was very 
um, it made sense. Why would we want to feed them grain? You know what I mean? Because that's not typical for the diet. So no, grain-free no, that, diet was yeah, push, getting pushed heavily in the, you know, yeah, so it was getting pushed heavily in for dog food. And then they found yeah. out the specific way they do it is causing health issues or could cause heart issues in dogs. So they kind of switched it up. So it's it's the same thing with people food. You know, like every few years, it's something new that's supposed to be good for you or not supposed to be good for you. It used to be you mm-hmm. eat several small meals a day, and then now mm-hmm. it's intermittent fasting. So, you know, it, it's the same with the animal world. There's always something different that's supposed to be the latest and greatest. Intermittent fasting works, by the way. <laughs> it does for me. So, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, that, that's actually the only thing that's worked. Um, so I've been trying to lose a bit of weight. Mostly after heart surgery, I gained a ridiculous amount of weight, um, water weight and everything mm-hmm. else. So it uh, stressed, you know, starting a new company. Um, so it was pretty interesting. So Marco in the, in the Netherlands says, bugs and dog food may not be so bad. He says his dog loved catching <laughs> flies, and his, his cat ate dragonflies. I'm like, oh, no, I love dragonflies. It's my spirit animal. Oh, Can't eat dragonflies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. But so, so yeah, now if they catch the animals, that's okay. Bugs, sure. Yeah, but you don't want the bugs ground up and, you know, like mealworms are not meals. <laughs> okay, those will be blood yeah. about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't sound too tasty. But, I mean, dogs yeah. will definitely try to eat whatever. It's funny. You'll see, you know. You'll see a dog and try they do to, grass. oh, what's this? Is this a roach you know? or what? Hey, hmm, let me check it out. So, Well, they don't know. They, they don't yeah, the other day know. I had a, yeah, they're just like, whatever. The other day I had a little, and it was deceased when it, somehow it made it into the house. I had a teeny tiny snake, and I don't know if the dog brought it in or if it came into my shoe. I have no idea. I was just uh-huh. like, oh, my goodness, it's, you know, a little, and I felt bad for the little guy. I was a little teeny guy, but, of course, my dog was like, oh, what's this? And trying to check it out. I'm like, no, we're not eating dead snakes today. Thank you. <laughs> Well, I mean, some of the live ones are, are you know, poisonous. <laughs> I remember I was, I was on the, the <laughs> yeah. bike. We have a bike trail here in uh, in Milton, Florida, called the Blackwater Trail. Mm-hmm. I still got a picture of it, but there was a, about a six foot water moccasin sitting in the middle of the trail. Oh, and I did. I wow. didn't, it looked like a stick from a distance, and by the time I got close enough, it was like, mm-hmm. oh, it's moving. And it was, uh, you know, there really wasn't a place to pull over. It's kind of a narrow path. Sometimes you have like these big grassy fields, but not where I was. Mm-hmm. So I rode very fast. She <laughs> rode right by it, uh, about two feet mm-hmm. away. You know, the head was at one end, I rode at the other end, and it, it hissed, and the mouth popped open. That's the whitest mouth I've ever seen. And those cotton mouths are like, wow. Oh, scary. And it made yeah. a nasty hissing sound. But I was, I was already, by the time it really realized I was there, I was already passing it. So I timidly yeah. should have walked back up, because I don't know how, if they chase people or not, right? Got a nice picture of it. But, uh, yeah, so uh, you can be surprised by it. We get, I, I see stories of people with rattlesnakes and things like that. So, so poisonous snakes and animals. Uh, if people live near a river or things like that, that, that must be a big impact, too. They've got to be careful of, uh, of, of the river critters, you know, coming up and visiting. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Lots of, you know, and we see a lot of snakes in our area in northwest Florida. So that's always something to kind of think about if your animal is suddenly acting strange or if there's their face is swollen up chances mm-hmm. are they might have been you know bit by a snake and if you're able to find out what snake obviously because you know if it's a poisonous snake they're going to need antivenom and they got to know what bit them but Which yeah the, the, yeah yeah the cotton mouths are very popular around here obviously with the rivers and whatnot that we have and we we have seen that from time to time animals come in with a snake bite and Yep. I think one of our employees, if I'm not mistaken, a few years back had that happen, and their dog survived, but they, you know, had to make a couple emergency trips to the vet. It was quite quite pricey, and it was just the dog was in the yard, and mm-hmm. a snake came up, and the dog was like, oh, I'm going to get you, and the snake's like, vet, I got you. So the dog went to the vet, and I don't know if the snake made it or not, but I think he, you know, he definitely made his mark, literally, so. Yeah, yeah, especially so you see two puncture holes, you go, hmm. 
that looks like a snake. <laughs> so, yeah. And there's a mm-hmm. lot of non-poisonous ones, too, but you got to know the difference. All right. Well, I'm going to let you go because we're a little over time already. Um, there's a couple of things I want to get to, and we've got uh, – this is going to be a fun shot. We're actually bringing back, you know, Friday Gun Day. So I have two gun guests, one at the top of the hour, uh, oh, cool. Candy Petticourt, and then I have uh, John Demonico, who heads up the Women's Firearm Academy, and that's hysterical. So uh, I'm, gonna, I'm curious. Uh, I was like, dude, how'd you end up running the Women's Firearm Academy? So we're going to find out that, too. Uh, but that's going to be Oh, uh, well, neat. That sounds like a good show. I, I'm, I do my best. I, mean, I have my moments. You know, it's, it's amazing how these things work <laughs> out. This week, if you, if you ever get a chance to go over some of the podcasts, we have Christina Bob, Trump's uh, attorney. She was on Tuesday. And yesterday, we mm-hmm. had a great chat with uh, someone I haven't been able to get on the show for a while because he's really busy. Uh, Gregory writes mm-hmm. the CO2 coalition and, and why carbon dioxide is so good for the environment. And so that's something that uh, it goes against, you know, what everybody's being told now. But oh, yeah, hey, no, CO, no CO2, no plants, no plants, no animals, no animals, no us. Okay. It's pretty simple. Anyway, so you might want to check uh, that out as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, let's get your contact, contact one more time. And uh, thank you okay. very much. Yeah. Yeah. So Tara D at Santa Rosa County Animal Services. We're at 445 Pine Forest Road. Mills, yeah. <laughs> Tara D at Santa Rosa County Animal Services. We are at 4451 Pine Forest Road, Milton, Florida. Our phone number is 850-983-4680. You can go to our website at santarosa.fl.gov slash animals. Check out our Facebook page or Instagram. Come by the office Monday through Friday, 1130 till 430. Wednesdays were open late until 630 and Saturdays 10 until 330. You're so good at this. You're natural. I can't believe you never did radio before. No, I'm serious. No, this is, it's great to have you on, but uh, yeah, but maybe I'll get music for you next time so you can do the closing. Well, <laughs> so funny. Like, take two, live radio, no problem. All right. Yeah. Thank Oops. you, Tara. Oh, yeah, never mind. I forgot it was live. Thank you. Have a great weekend. <laughs> take care. Bye now. Here is your Action Radio contact and website information. The call-in line is 215-383-3832. Our show site is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Same link, live and a podcast. Please share all our shows. We have live chat at the bottom of the broadcast page available worldwide. Sign in to your free account and type away. We have an internet Skype line where you can call the show worldwide also. Please see the broadcast page for our Skype name. Call in during the show to get approved. Our bill writing site is writeyourlaws.com. W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. Writeyourlaws.com. This is where anyone can write a bill and start the process of it becoming law. My paid and free subscription column is at gregpenglis.substack.com. Please consider a paid subscription of $5 per month or greater. For contributions to Action Radio, please go to givesendgo.com slash actionradio. We have over 20 Action Radio Facebook groups. Use the Facebook search window by putting in Action Radio to find our groups. My public email is greg at writeyourlaws.com. Please contact me about advertising on Action Radio and helping our mission of freedom. Thank you for listening. Action Radio. 
part of the ADHD Radio Network, the ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take, that is Action Radio. So I'm back. I've got uh, Marco in the Netherlands on live chat. I've got Pianki uh, live on the air, and I've got uh, about 20 minutes before our first gun guest gets here. And I'm thinking to myself, I wonder if I can take these two, uh, Candy and John, and see if they might be regular uh, gun hosts. But we'll, we'll talk about that after I talk to them, uh, neither of whom I, I've talked to on the air. Um, so it's going to be interesting. So we're, we're going to be kind of winging it this morning, get some new people on. But I want to have a regular gun report, as we had before. We had Shirley Watchful and we had Jim Dykes um, for, I don't know, a couple of years, especially with Jim. I think about a year of Shirley and about uh, almost two years of Jim. And they were fabulous. And so I really enjoyed Friday chats, uh, especially with Jim uh, in terms of, uh, of the Constitution and laws and Shirley in terms of women and guns. And so very necessary, I think, to report on some of these things that are happening. So we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. But I wanted to do a story. I've had this for about a week now. Uh, Tennessee to consider cutting off federal government funding for education. It's in the Daily Wire. It's by Leif Le Mahieu. That would be M-A-H-I-E-U. It's got to be French. Uh, September 26th. So that would be, well, not a week then. I guess it was three days ago. Um, Daily Wire. Uh, so this is interesting. The, the idea that Tennessee is actually going to get rid of all their federal funding for education, which means they can do what they want. So the article says Tennessee lawmakers are looking at rejecting federal dollars for public education and replacing them with state dollars in a move that would make Tennessee the first in the nation to turn down federal education funding. Now, you know, nobody wants to turn down, you know, federal money. Uh, but the problem is, uh, as the Supreme Court even uh, uh, ruled in an opinion, that if the federal government funds it, they can they can call the shots. They can, you know, there are strings attached and that's OK because you're taking their money. And so they get to have control. That's why federal, the federal government has to fund everything. Uh, and they'll even take our tax dollars to fund things and then still take control of them. That's another story. I've got a very distracting add-on right now. It's a good thing I got it muted. This is terrible. Uh, anyway, it says Republican leadership in the state announced the formation of a panel to look at the impact of federal education funding in Tennessee and the strings that can come attached with that funding. Well, I'll tell you right now, uh, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion, you know, critical race theory, uh, stupid stuff, drag queens in your schools. I mean, it just, you know, it just goes on and on and on, you know, a completely dumbed down standard in the 1619 project, all white people are bad. The country's formed on slavery and all kinds of other nonsense that the government schools are, are pushing that have nothing to do with education. So, you know, my, uh, my applause goes out to Tennessee, but also uh, I've already contacted uh, two of our legislators here, uh, Michelle Salzman, who is over in Escambia County, which is the one to uh, my left, <laughs> if, you're, if, you're, if you're looking at the beach, you know, back in, uh, or to my right, if you're looking from, you know, Alabama down. Uh, and Escambia is the first county. Uh, when you drive from uh, um, 
Alabama into Florida in the Panhandle, the first county you get to is Escambia, where the second one is Santa Rosa. And so my Santa Rosa rep, um, Representative Joel Rudman, also has this same article. So that uh, we're going to find out. Our legislation uh, start. Our legislative session starts in January, and so we're going to. We've got plenty of time to get a bill in now. And considering they've already written one, uh, this wouldn't be an action radio thing. We don't have to do anything. They've already written it. You know, so I, I fully. Oh, there's a trash truck outside. So if you hear noise, that's what it is. Anyway. Um, the point of all this is that the states, if they want to control their education, they have to take, you know, the federal money out of the system. And I, I want, I want Florida to do the same thing. I said, no reason to take uh, federal money at all, um, especially with the strings attached. And, uh, you know, we've got a pretty good state budget here. You'll notice the states that don't have an income tax have more money, which is kind of interesting. So the states that don't take federal money have more control. The states that don't have an income tax have more money. Go figure. Anyway, it says, uh, here's a quote from, uh, from one of the folks here, uh, Cameron Sexton, the Republican House Speaker, says, anytime the federal government sends money, there, there are always strings attached to those dollars, and there's always a possibility that it opens the state up to other regulations or restrictions. He says, the working, uh, this working group will help provide a clearer picture of how much autonomy Tennessee truly has in educating our students. Now, Tennessee is one of the leaders. There's something else they did. Uh, I forgot what it was not too long ago. It was a tax thing or something. Uh, Tennessee just led the nation. So Tennessee is really good about being innovative, about taking a stand, about protecting their state, and doing things that most other states won't do. So this, it's a def- they're definitely a trend center. Anyway, so Sexton announced on Monday the formation of a 10-member joint working group to look at whether the state can fund education without utilizing federal funds. And the panel, which will have members of both its state and house, state house and Senate, will have eight Republicans and two Democrats. Well, that sounds about right. <laughs> Anyways, the quote is, uh, this is from Gov- Lieutenant Governor Randy McNally. The education of our youth is one of the essential responsibilities of our government. No, it's not, stupid fool. The education of, of youth is the responsibility of their parents. And if the parents choose to go to a government school, that's one thing. But this is one of those great myths. You know, well, the government has to educate the kids. No, they don't. That's the problem. And that's what Tennessee, this is, so this guy's essentially being, uh, contradicting the new Tennessee policy. You know, uh, it was the state government responsibility, but even that's not true. Then he says federal dollars and the various mandates and restrictions that come with those dollars, you know, affect the way Tennessee's children are educated. (laughs) Or in the case of the federal dollars, not educated or de-educated, or they made dumbed down, they made stupid. You know, I, I really, for years of school, I, I knew less than I did when I was 10 years old. <laughs> when I could study on my own, I was reading the World Book Encyclopedia, which I read all, well, I didn't read it all the way through, but I, I went through all of it by the time I was about 12 years old. And I started when I was about eight. <laughs> it went through the whole thing. It took a while, you know, a lot of volumes. You know, I just spent Saturday morning, you know, first wake up, I pull out an encyclopedia volume and just start looking through it and find interesting articles in a way. You know. Anyway, he says, federal dollars and the various mandates and restrictions that come with those dollars. Oh, I already said that. Uh, this is due to our state's excellent financial position. This is a worthy subject of examination and study. Okay, that's a big point, too. That is a big point, too. You have to have the money to do this. And a lot of states, the states that charge an income tax, liberal states, they don't have the money. They have to take the federal money. Well, they don't, but they do anyway. Um, but that's an interesting uh, 
Very interesting uh, thought. So I'm, I'm kind of curious to see what happens. Anyway, to Sexton, that's the Speaker of the House, previously discussed turning down 18, oh, 1. 8, excuse me, $1.8 billion in federal education funding during the last regular legislative session, but the proposal never ended up advancing. Well, it's probably because they had COVID uh, leftovers and things like that. I'm not sure what Tennessee did. I can't imagine they closed down that much in Tennessee. Anyway, he says, we as a state can lead the nation once again. Once again, when did they lead the nation before? Hmm. Anyway, he says, we in the state, as the state, can lead the nation once again in telling the federal government to pound sand. No, that's, that's what I wish he'd said. Tell the federal government that they can keep their money and we'll just do things the Tennessee way. Uh, that's section again. And then he says, and, and that should start first and foremost with the Department of Education. Yeah. So how many other states will do that? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm asking uh, my, my reps here in Florida. Um, to do that, to take Florida out of the federal education system, stop taking, you know, Department of Education money. Um, don't, uh, you know, don't follow their programs. You know, Florida should educate people the you know, Florida way. It's Tennessee educates the Tennessee way. <gasps> uh, let me pull Rush Limbaugh. But Greg, but Greg, how do they know they're going to be educated to the standards that they should be? Well, what are those standards? Well, the federal government standards? The, the federal government standards suck. Anyway, I kind of like this idea. Pianki, what do you think? Well, the courts was wrong in what they ruled, that they ruled like what you said. Well, the, I don't think the court, they have uh, court said that the, the, the federal government funds something, they can attach, you know, the rules to it. They make the rules. If they pay the bill, they make the well, rules. That's what the court said. They should only be able to attach the rules to that which they fund. If it's free and reduced lunch, then that's it. They can't go into other areas. And they surely can't dictate the curriculum of a school. That's left up to the local, local community. Well, is it though? District. See the, yeah, it is. How much? Well, if the Department of Education gives all kinds of money, and they say you have to include critical race theory and uh, you know diversity, education, and inclusion, and teach that well, white people are bad and the country's founded on slavery, you know, what do they do? Federal government can't do that. They see if they have if they if they uh, if they contribute for R ROTC program, then mm-hmm. they can make sure that there's no discrimination going on in that program and things that's blatantly a violation of the law. But they can't tell a school district how to teach. That's up to the state. See, this is where I'm not and, clear on it. The, the reason I'm asking the question is because what does the what the Department of Education does mostly is gives out money that they've already taken from they the state. They give out money for they give out money for Title Nine. That's where females right. can have uh, extracurricular activity in sports, mm-hmm. and then they can wander off into areas where they dictate like you got to have a transsexual bathroom stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, it has to be, you know, if you got a science program, you don't have to worry about no bathroom. But state legislatures have already passed laws that says that the curriculum, textbooks, and instructional material, instruction and training is left up to the district. So the federal government don't get involved in no curriculums. Yeah, I'm just wondering uh, then why they give out money. You know, why? Why do you know? Why do we have it? The district pays for it. Yeah, but 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 what if the state said, okay, not only are we not going to take the federal money, we're not going to hand over whatever amount that uh, Tennessee was paying to the to the Department of Education. They keep that money too, so they don't they're not taking well, they the federal money. That. They're not, yeah, that's what I mean. I think that would be well, part could, of the bill. And say, okay, well, we're, they you know, do that. 
Yeah. But see, here's another right. point too, Greg. Uh-huh. You keep forgetting they got they have free and reduced lunches. You got poor people in Tennessee that don't have the ability to feed their kids better than what's going on at the school. So they're going to be against that. So it should mm-hmm. be detailed to certain things and not no broad blanket. There's two school districts in the state of Missouri, Ladue and Clayton. And about 97% of the monies that run those two school districts, maybe a little bit more, a little bit less, comes from the local community. They take hardly mm-hmm. nothing from the federal government and very little from the state. And they public school districts. So that's, that's a good model. I, mean, I think I, you good. know more people, more districts should model themselves on that. That sounds like a great idea. Well, the thing is, is that the people in that those two districts are in the upper echelon of income, so they can afford to pay okay. whatever taxes. And the only reason they they uh, have free and reduced lunch is because they allow some inner city kids to come to the district. How, how does that help them, though? Say that again. They allow inner city kids to come to the district. Right. You. And usually they are in poverty, and the free and reduced lunch helps them. Well, I'm sure it does. I mean, I'm sure these lunches help you know parents that don't have a lot of money. But quite frankly, you know, feeding kids is not the responsibility of the taxpayers or or the government. It's the responsibility of the parents. You know, and to to have enough kids that you can afford to feed. You know, I don't like the idea of a school breakfast program. I'm not, you know, lunch makes sense because you're already there. I mean, that's part of your school day. But breakfast, dinner, come on. That's crazy. We shouldn't be uh, – that should not be a taxpayer-supported well, thing. See, actually, the, the people themselves ask for those programs. Like you make mention dinner, huh. and you're talking about latchkey students. Right. A student that had to stay at school after the program because their parents hadn't came home from work. So they were right. described as being latchkey. So they provided meals oh, for them been, while been they were there waiting on the parents. Yeah, I know that's all about. But I used to make my own food as of the age of like ten, <laughs> but I was unusual. Um, so that's but that's a different story. Yeah, yeah, pretty crazy. So what pretty it crazy. should be is that the federal government, if they go, they shouldn't be allowed. And the course was wrong again. And then too, the districts didn't have to uh, pay any attention to the course, but the districts want the money. So that there's a yeah. catch twenty two. But I agree that the federal government need to stay out of out of the schools. They, Especially in public schools, that's where they at. Yeah. Well, the best thing would be to uh, what the Republicans have talked about, but have never actually done, which is you know abolish the Department of Education. Uh, they can't seem to do that simple little thing. Uh, and this is why I say they're complainers without actually doing anything. But if you didn't have that department, you know the money, you know the, all the money the Department of Education gets comes from taxpayers, and all they do is give you know part of it back. Uh, it's, it's like a money pool. They take, take a bunch to fund themselves to keep operating with all their pensions and perks and benefits and things like that and their SWAT team, you know, and then they send uh, part of that money back. Well, if it never left the states to begin with, the states would actually have more money. So it sense for the states not to take federal money. Just close them down. Anyway, the Democrats well, they are all would have to replace. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They would have to replace some of those programs. Like you got one federal program that provide, I guess you can say, grants to parents to go toward the tuition of the school that the kid is going to if they meet certain poverty levels, even in college. Uh, well, that could be a school choice program. Yeah. 
Yeah, that can Pardon be me? the school choice program. So that that's that makes sense. Um, and I well, think the it's food. Not when, it's not when you're at the college level. Hmm. Well, college, we need to do something different then. You know, I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I, I, it, school choice for college is, you know, you know, although we uh, we think of, of people over 18 as adults, you know, they still treat college students like kids. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. You know, a lot of college students nope. don't have the rights of, of adults outside. Like college students can't carry guns. No funds are available you know, no matter yeah. if you're lower class, middle class, or even I've heard of upper class uh, oh, yeah. applying for those funds and they sure. receive them. Yeah. So there's some, a lot of things they need to be out of and some mm-hmm. things that you're going to have to come up with a way to replace because they uh, – People are in the habit of uh, being used to it, and it's in their plans for paying for schools, mm-hmm. education. Yeah. Well, it's interesting the Democrats oppose it. Democrats in Tennessee, this is from the article, oppose the move with the state senator Ramesh Akbari. <laughs> Tennessee? Ramesh Akbari in Tennessee? <laughs> that, that's funny to be doing with. Anyway, claiming that that would be harsh consequences if Tennessee rejected federal funding. Federal funds are crucial in supporting students with special needs, English language learners, and those from low-income families, Kabari said. Well, see, English language language learners are normally illegals, and they shouldn't be there anyway. Exactly. Yep. And students with special needs? Well, I don't mind a program for students with special needs. But that doesn't have to come out of the regular budget, and that certainly doesn't have to uh, come out of taxpayer money from Tennessee to the federal government and back again. That's just a waste of money. Well, when you get in the in Missouri, in St. Louis area, they got a, they got what's called a special school district, and they are for kids that can't be taught in the classroom because of their disabilities or handicap. So they have a school district, especially for them, where they can receive the needs that they need. You know, they may be in wheelchair bound. So when time comes to or it may be in a bed, really. Sometimes they will a bed in with a student in so that they can pick up their language, their education. But now they got different oh, yeah. means like Zoom and so forth. So, you know, you got to tend to them, too. I'm still fascinated by Ramesh Akbari from Tennessee. <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't sound like a doesn't sound like a typical redneck to me, but he's Democrat. So that's yeah, he, you what, know, that guy there is, uh, is – you see, Democrats – Remember this, that uh, the, the teachers' unions are mm-hmm. one of the contributors to the Democratic candidates. Oh, yes. Okay. And teachers, they are not bound to be paid or the performance of their of the product that they're in front of is not dependent. Their salary isn't dependent on that. Their compensation is not dependent on that. So whether right. the child is failing or whether the child is doing well, it means no difference to the teacher. They still got their job. Yeah, yeah. And then those, so they can be they take that money and contribute it to the teachers union through dues and teachers union turn around and contribute it to candidates and all sort of things. Yeah, and it's all contracted. So the the, the contract amount because teachers are under union contract, so the dues are automatic. The contract is automatic. They can be the worst teacher in the world, but make as much as the best teacher in the world because it's all the same contract. You know, or mm-hmm. the folks that are within that collective bargaining unit. But uh, here's what uh, Ramesh Akbari from Tennessee <laughs> said: uh, said that federal funds are crucial in supporting students with special needs, English language learners, and those from low-income families. Well, you know, low-income families can get uh, vouchers, 
And then it says Tennessee has established itself as one of the more conservative states in the country. <clears throat> that's not Ramesh. That's just the, the article. Moving to ban sex change procedures on minors. That's a good thing. Moving to protect children from sexually explicit performances. That's another good thing. Well, that's what it was. And overwhelmingly rejecting proposed, quote, red flag legislation in the past year, despite heavy pressure from left-wing activist groups. So Tennessee is a good place. Okay, so, so here's what Tennessee did. Now I remember what it was. This is fascinating. So rather than just ban the drag queen shows, they classified them as adult entertainment. You know, the same as strippers, which is what it is. If you're doing a drag queen show, you know, you're, you're, you're adult entertainment. Well, you can't have adult entertainment in the schools because they don't have adults. They have minors. <laughs> so Tennessee actually did a really smart thing. I think it was struck down by some left-wing lunatic court or something like that. But that's, that's how they did it. So Tennessee's pretty smart. So it, it sounds like, uh, you know, it actually sounds like a bad thing the way the Daily Wire writes this, but it's actually a good thing. Tennessee has established itself as one of the more conservative states in the country. Well, I, I would say more conservative or more American. This sounds like American values. Moving to ban sex change procedures on minors. That's a good thing. Moving to protect children. Well, that's a good thing. Yeah, exactly. And overwhelmingly rejecting mm-hmm. red flag laws. Tennessee is the bomb. Tennessee's the, the that's the place to be. I mean, they, they got it right. We should learn from Tennessee. Yeah, that's the south. Now, when you start creeping up to the north, when you get up mm-hmm. about Illinois, Indiana, yeah. and especially Michigan and Minnesota, those things change. Those yeah. people are. Well, see, now here's, here's something I, I haven't really talked about on the show. I came to this area purposefully. Uh, the fact that I found a radio station, WBY, 1330 AM in Milton, Florida, a place I'd never heard of, you know, uh, for my first uh, full-time radio job, uh, was not an accident. I mean, I looked in this area. I really wanted to live in the South. Didn't have to be, I was hoping for Florida, but I mean, it didn't have to be. I just wanted to get out of California. And so the fact that I found a, a radio station exactly the place I wanted to be in, and there was another station in town you know, Cat Country 1620, which is the one I, I talked to them about working too. And, and I, talked, I said, this is the one station I never want to work at. These people, they, they don't agree with me at all. They'll never accept action radio. But this other station, you know, you, know, you know, half an hour away, this is the perfect station. So it's just ironic that the station that I didn't want to have anything to do with ends up buying the station that I absolutely love and kicked us all out of a job. <laughs> it's just one of those funny things, one of those little ironies of history. But anyway, um, but radio, it's, it is it is fascinating that the South, uh, one of the reasons I wanted to come here is the South is going to save this country. And the South is, is independent enough, um, you know, the South is independent enough to take on the federal government um, in the Civil War. Now, the, civil, yeah, the reasons were wrong, but the fact is only the South of all the regions of this country, New England didn't do it, you know, New York, Pennsylvania didn't do it, the Midwest didn't do it, you know, Texas didn't do it, although they probably would have. Uh, the 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 oh, northwest no. and and the southwest didn't do it. The south did. South took on the federal. They reason what nothing wrong with their reasons. They well, slavery was wrong. Yeah. Well, slavery but, it was slavery was the law. Right or wrong is what. See where it came from. It was right. It wasn't okay. wrong. See that's what we 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 try to put these sentiments in something that happened. Four, five, six, seven, been going on forever. You can't right. do that. You can't go into other countries and use your sentiment where you coming from and apply to them. Don't work. Mm-hmm. So they had it. No, that's reason. why it worked. Now, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Most of them are south, southern states are signed on to the convention of states, by the way. I believe it. Well, the yeah. south is independent. You know, like people, I say, uh, 
the South, you know, because uh, the South didn't want the taxes of the North. They didn't want the industrial North dictating how the South would live. The South was, you know, agriculture-based. Absolutely. Um, and so the trade, the North was blocking the South from trade with Europe for our agriculture down here. You know, so there are a lot of reasons that, were, that go way beyond slavery. I just mentioned that uh, as, as the reason everybody thinks of the Civil War, and it's really not. But this is why I think the South is going to save this country, is because that same independent spirit, you know, directed towards America first, as compared to the rest of the country, which is, you know, globalist first. Uh, the South, this is, I really wanted to be in the South, you know, for the reason that well, I you're in a good are, place. Yeah, but I think the people here are independent enough. Well, I couldn't do the show in California. And I'd be lynched. I'd be I'd be hanging from the tree out front, <laughs> you know, of, of, of my former, uh, you know, house that I was in. You know, we had uh, we used to have protests outside my window. I had a, had an elementary school, uh, two blocks up the street, mm-hmm. and they would march. The teachers would have the kids march down the street to, to behind a Mexican flag. That was bad enough, you know, chanting you all kinds do that of things. In Mexico. <laughs> what march behind an American flag? You can't not. march in the streets with a foreign flag. Yeah, against the Constitution. Yeah, yeah. Uh, interesting. Yeah, I actually wrote a call that uh, we should burn the Mexican flag on on Flag Day. <laughs> that was I haven't released that one yet. That was a little more controversial than my usual. Anyway, so I'm expecting a phone call here from Candy Petticord, who's another woman and guns advocate, competitor, and things like that. So uh, hopefully she's got her two sons right. Otherwise, she's going to conflict with my other. Uh, my other person, but that's, uh, I should uh, uh, send a quick message, you know, like you're on. So let me just do a quick uh, message here. You are on. Then I put time to call in. Time to call in. Let's see if this works. People do that sometimes, especially first time callers, or they'll call my cell phone. This <laughs> is why I don't get my cell phone number out very often. But uh, that happens. Um, so we'll see. We'll see where, where my guests went. So we've got two interesting guests. Now, Candy Petticard, uh, she is a gun rights person. Is uh, Derek um, in today? Uh, Derek's not in today. No, he would have been in already. So he, he was at 730, so he's yeah. not in today. That's why I covered the education thing. So I might have to vamp this hour, too. Um, but she had all kinds and of stuff. It would be nice she, you know, if your guests leave contact information because somebody from uh, in the area don't know who we are leave the contact. I always ask. So uh, I always ask for contact information, and I always, um, you know, and I tell people, too, that, of course, Telephone everything here is, everything here is podcast. What's that? If they're business, and give a telephone number. This shelter, and give an address and a telephone number. Oh, she does. Um, Tara, Tara does it twice. Yeah. She does it at the beginning of the report and the end of the report. Um, so so yeah, Tara's okay. really good about that. And, again, everything's podcast. Well, that's why I made that, that promotional thing that I do now, my contact information. I put everything in one place. Mm-hmm. You know, rather than kind of, I used to give it at the end of the show, kind of scattered. But now, I now I have something organized that uh, that I play at the beginning, or and I actually list it on the schedule. So it looks like it's it's you and me for this hour. Uh, I don't know where where my guest is, but that's okay. That happens. Stuff happens. People get busy. You know, dog has to go to the vet. Who knows? Um, but we have another one, uh, John uh, Delmonico. Uh, he's in the he's in the nine o'clock hour, so that'll be the top of the next hour. Uh, so here's a guy that runs the Women's Firearm Academy. So it, it's kind of a funny story actually, because I, when I emailed, he just went with his letter, his initials JD, and I'm thinking, you know, Jane, Juliet, you know, I'm thinking a chick, right, running the Women's Firearm Academy, and this guy writes back, yeah, hey, it's John. I said, what? <laughs> I said, I said, you're a dude. He says, yes, I am. 
<laughs> this is pretty funny. I said, well, how'd you get to run a women's firearm academy? It's actually an interesting story. So we're going to find out about that. But uh, we need uh, we need to, we need to go well, on Friday. Conservative, uh-huh. conservative people need to do the things that help their movement. Like yesterday, I got rid of my phone service and went to a conservative uh, area. Huh. And uh, the one reason I got rid of the other one, because uh, they was headquartered in New York, also right. tied in with D.C., and you know what that means. So I say the hell with you. There's yeah. no need for us to talk about the things that we know that the nation needs, but we turn around when the conversation is over, and we're supporting those entities that's anti-American and, mm-hmm. and especially anti-Trump. I just don't want to say that. Yeah. But, uh, well, that's why I have uh, that's why I do, I go for Gibson do. Go. Yeah, that's why I have people uh, – I took out my PayPal for the schedule. You'll notice uh, if you want to donate, I just left the Give, Send, Go one because Give, Send, Go is a lot better than PayPal. And so PayPal does not support Americans, does not support guns, does not support a bunch of things. So now if anybody wants to contribute, uh, Give, Send, Go. Give, Send, Go.com hey, slash Action Radio. Uh-huh. I called my, my – my, what was my current carrier – and got customer service, I had to call them three times because I couldn't understand what the person was saying. I called this <laughs> new company, and immediately I knew yeah. what they were saying because they were American. They advertised that they are Americans. Do you want to uh, tell which company it is? Is it like Patriot uh, Mobile or something? It is Pure Talk. Okay. Well, so I don't mind plugging them. Hey, if you like them, talk to them. See if they'll sponsor us. You never know. I'll have them Pure on the Talk. Yeah. 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 Well, let me do another article because uh, I think it's just us for a bit. And uh, this is one that, that I have like several articles. There now. No, in fact, as soon as I said that, my guest appears. <laughs> so let's bring her on here. And uh, and I, I don't have a, uh, a whole lot of theme stuff here. So so Candy Pettycord, there you are. Welcome to Action Radio. Here I are. Oh, yeah, thank you. Yeah. I'm thrilled I'll, to be here. Well, I was hoping you'd call in. We had uh, we sort of missed you at the top of the hour, but that's okay. Pianki and I have been kind of vamping a little bit. So, so that's okay. So, yeah, we this, this is gonna be fun because we've never t- uh, we, we we messaged a little bit, and it was kind of like last minute. <laughs> like, are you coming on tomorrow? Yeah, I'm coming on tomorrow. Okay, fine. But you're a gun person, and so we need to. Uh, we have a, a Friday tradition of of guns around here, and so I want to find out uh, what your story is. And so, it, there's no real format. It's pretty freewheeling. Where we just we just kind of improv here, uh, and do all kinds of things. But if you have background noise, you know, we might want to watch that because the mic picks up everything. And so the dog barks, the things happen. Okay. Uh, that's 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 kind of a normal thing around here. So let me let me first of all oh, just scroll down here a little bit. Let's give you a round of applause for being here. Whoops, let me get the full one. There we go, that's better. <laughs> so you're kind of following a tradition. We have uh, a, a lot of uh, women firearms advocates. We had Shirley Watchell, DC Project. Um, on for about a year. We've had Amanda Suffolk, we've had uh, Cheryl Todd, we've had Tess Saab, 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 however you pronounce her name. Um, we've had a bunch of different folks on here. There's one woman from New Zealand who stayed the whole three hours. I, keep, I forgot who brought her on, but she just stuck around. It was kind of funny. So, so what's your story? So have you, did you, did you, were you born loving guns or something that happened later in life? And uh, so, so uh, what's, what's, what's your, uh, what's your story? So my story is I uh, did not grow up loving guns. As a matter of fact, guns were not a part of my family, not a part of my upbringing, not really even a part of my culture. Um, uh-huh. I, I am a, a black firearms instructor, 
And uh-huh. in my culture, um, the only people who had guns were drug dealers or pimps or criminals. And it seemed like the other segregations was a popla- population just didn't have guns. We just didn't hmm. have them because we lived in the city. It wasn't mm-hmm. like we were hunters or anything like that. So mm-hmm. they just were not a part of our culture. Um, you say our culture. I got into uh, them. I'm kind of curious just to, you know, I, I pick up on words a lot. So, so uh, um, when you say, what do you, what do you mean by, by your culture? I, I think of like American culture or is this uh, black well, American culture or what, what's, uh, what are you talking about? And you can be blunt here too. We're very open in the way we discuss things. So, uh, you know, okay, uh, so, cool. so feel free. Then yeah. I actually like that. I like that. So okay. Um, okay. what I mean by culture is the politically correct way of saying that's not the way I was brought up. Oh, um, so the leftist I culture was... is what we're talking about. We're talking about socialist, <laughs> yeah. democratic, Marxist, communist, un-American, globalist, take your guns away people, that culture. Yeah, that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, so, so you're among friends here. So, yeah, yeah. Okay, now, now I understand. <laughs> so when I was growing up, like I said, um, it's not that we were anti-guns. It's not that we were pro-guns. We just... Mm-hmm. Guns just didn't exist. They just weren't there. They weren't a part of our everyday life. Um, And I really didn't get into firearms until about six or seven years ago. Mm -hmm. And that was about the time my kids started becoming of age. And I started realizing that we were no longer in Mayberry anymore. And that Mayberry was never coming back. I know, right? And that the world is actually a pretty crappy place sometimes. And um, I'm I'm a definite mama bear. And my thought is, man, if anyone was to ever do anything to one of my kids, I would. And I didn't have an answer for the I would. Because Mm. you can be as mad as you want to be. Interesting. But if you don't have skills, you don't have training, you don't have some kind of plan, all you have is anger. And that's not me. I'm a person of action. So my thought was, you know what? The great equalizer, especially for women, it's a mm-hmm. firearm. So that yeah, started I, me down my path. Yeah, I, I have a you know great interest in women in firearms. And this is why I have a lot of women in firearms on, just because uh, I think uh, in a lot of ways, women can really advance uh, our, our, our Second Amendment rights against the left, because if you know Billy Bob the redneck with the rifle in the truck in the pickup starts coming out and I'll do my you know say well Billy Bob comes out here and talks about rifles I got my guns I got my dog I'm going to go hunting you know that's Second Amendment right that's my that's my right what are you talking about you know it's a different story than if I'm okay my it apologies is. to my uh, once again my apologies to my redneck brethren but um, you know if you come out you know as a mother you know especially if you bring the kids well, they're, they're young kids. All right. And, you know, that's an entirely different message and a much more powerful one, especially the left who deals with emotions anyway. They don't care about facts, you know, and no, they do not. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Well, um, and you brought that up. Not only am I a mother, but I'm a black mother and mm-hmm. I'm a middle aged mother. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not a youngster. I'm not someone who's just, you know, just fell off the bus and it's like, oh, yeah, this is a good idea. No, I'm someone who's had time to look around, absorb what's going on, decide I'm not too happy about this, 
and take my little steps to protect me and mine. Were you in uh, – well, can you tell me what city you're in? I'm just curious as to where in the country this was because that makes a difference. I'm in an inner city in Ohio. Okay. All right. Is this a city that was um, victimized by Black Lives Matter and or Antifa riots in the last couple of years? They sure tried it, but to our credit, to the credit of our mayor, who Uh is Democratic – Oh. He, he is a Democratic mayor, but I was really proud of him because his it was either his police commissioner or his police chief gave him a hint about a, a gut feeling that he had. And instead of ignoring this information, our mayor was on top of it. And he was just like, no, nah, fam, we ain't having that mess here. So it did Democrat not mayor. happen. They planned it, but it didn't happen. Uh, mm-hmm. Black Democrat mayor by chance, or no? No, nope. Huh. This is still a message for Democrats out there that you don't, you know, have to be so progressive that you you let your city be destroyed by rioters. And and these, Correct. you know, I mean, riot, rioters are rioters. I don't care what the pl- the politics of it is, you know. And this is. Wait, are you making breakfast? I hear like things in the background. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Don't yes, be sorry. My, it's fine. I'm here hey. at home with my kids, so I'm oh, sorry. Oh, that's fine. It's, uh, if, if the kid, no, the reason I tell you that is because, like, Jonathan Mosley, who does our legal report, was on Mondays. He was making coffee, you know, right during his report. And people forget because it gets so casual with me, right? And so he's making coffee, and I'm hearing the, the water, you know, slush around the, the, the coffee maker. And I said, Jonathan, what are you doing? He's like, making coffee. Can you hear it? He said, yeah, I can hear everything. <laughs> That's just that's normal right here. Okay, so this is this is really interesting. Well, uh, yeah, go ahead. I'll make you jealous. I'll make you really Uh-oh. jealous. My oh, son no. just you... made me a breakfast of Uh-oh. bacon and a ridiculous omelet with uh, onions and cheese and oh my gosh, it's amazing. Oh so, no! Yeah, be oh jealous. no! Oh, great. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. I'm still hungry. I, I usually, well, I eat twice, once at like four in the morning when I get up before the show and then after the show. So you, you caught me hungry. Do you know, you know this reminds me of Pianchi. Remember, Pianchi's on the line too. Uh, do you remember when Alan Dawson used to call in from Belize and he'd have like these tropical, you know, gourmet delights and Pianchi always asked him what he had. Uh, so what do you think of, of Candy's omelet there, Pianchi? <laughs> We're a little off topic, but I don't care. Well, she still took a picture of it. <laughs> oh, I know. I should have done that. Mm, yeah, next we, time I'll need, do that because oh. <laughs> we need to. We need but like I wanted to, food. Yeah, go ahead, Bianchi. I wanted to tell her one thing. That, uh, there's about 42, when I counted, black gun corrupts across the nation, and about three of them uh, we sh- we shoot foxy mamas, and I can't think of the other. About three of them are female, black female. Very nice. That's yeah. awesome. Are you connected with either uh, other black gun groups or black women gun groups? Just curious. I I am not because I just recently started this recently as in within the last couple of years. Okay. So um, I have not made those connections yet, but I am connecting more with uh, black um, 2A advocates and black firearms instructors, and I am actually in the process of setting up a black uh, course in my community for uh, youth, a black firearm safety course for the youth in our community. 
Interesting. Do you have a large black population in your in your town or city? Very much so. Okay. Um, we mm. we're we're uh, multiracial, but right. yes, we do have a large minority um, population in our community. And well, then, then, that's then the majority. That's, <laughs> yeah. Like and if a town is 70% black, you know, it's fascinating when a town says, well, we're 70% black, you know, we're 70% minority. I said, no, that's the majority at that point. <laughs> it's like the white folks are the minority, which well, you just, know, um, perception it. is everything, right? Yeah, anyway, go ahead, Bianchi. This is one of my special topics. Now, what the reason why she's doing that is because black females are not involved in an activity that they should be involved in, that's self-protection. A gun safety, and when to shoot and when not to shoot, and that's something that many try to get involved in, and it's coming along pretty well. When I go to the to the firing range, it's mostly women, and it's oh, it's, uh, it's now when I was when I was a kid, I used to carry my twenty two bolt action carbine on my shoulder with a strap. Get on the bus, ride to school. We have gun practice after mm-hmm. school. Get on the bus, go back home. And not which decade was this? Yeah, long time ago. <laughs> I'm just gonna say which decade? That was a long time ago. ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, they used to do it in New York. I mean, there are pictures of, of kids. The, the the gun groups that show this. I think in like the 40s and 50s, um, you know, kids would ride the subway in New York, and because the, a lot of those schools had a, a rifle range in the basement. You know, with the hearing protection and the yeah. ventilation, all that kind of good stuff. So yep. they would do that. Ohio, did you have a, yep. a similar thing like that? We now, honestly, I can't. When I grew up, I went to a private school, so okay. we had that, but I can't comment on what the public schools had because I didn't attend them. I attended a private school, and well, we did you. have that. We had archery and riflery and all that good uh-huh. stuff, but um, I never took advantage of that, it just never appealed to me. It was available, but it never okay, so, appealed to me, so I okay, took so other things. Something changed. Okay, so is there an event that changed your life or a gradual evolution? I'm, I'm guessing there was an event. Something, something put you on this path. Would I be right? And if it's personal, you don't have to tell me. I'm just nosy. Um, <laughs> love it. Yes, there was an event. It did uh-huh. not happen to me. It happened to someone I know. Okay. And in a nutshell, there was a home invasion. Mm-hmm. Um she was her her husband was at work doing mm-hmm. what the provider is supposed to be doing right. um but while he was gone uh the wife got to and she had to literally watch her two teenage daughters get assaulted wow and yeah you can imagine how that went oh so, yeah um the I daughters raised the daughter, so, are yeah. now messed up you mm-hmm. know the daughters are now messed up the mom is messed up, and the dad is messed up because he was out doing what he was supposed to be doing, but he wasn't there to protect his family. Well, he still got guilt. So, he's going to have guilt the rest of his life, yes, even though yes. the rational side says there's nothing he could have done. He wasn't there. He didn't know she couldn't call. But on the other hand, he, you know, he always wishes that he could have been there to do something. But again, guns correct. in the house – you know, this is huge. And so the reason I ask is, I remember, you know, and I, I grew up in a, in a socialist, Marxist, you know, left-wing, ultra-feminist family. 
you know, and that, that was, you know, so guns, you couldn't even talk about guns in my house. You know, I had little cap guns when wow. I was a kid, but even that was unusual. All right. And so guns were, were you know, in fact, at summer camp, I wanted to uh, take the rifle course because I actually was interested in guns because I was interested in airplanes and uh, loud things and rock and roll and all kinds of things that I couldn't do at home that I did later in life. But um, but that was my experience growing up. And then when I got married, I, I got real protective, and there were a couple of murders on my street. So it's a, a similar thing. So then I thought I was against guns, but I wanted to learn because, you know, I'm a married guy. I want to protect, you know, the wife and the future kids. And so uh, I learned about it. But here's what I found out. And I want this happened to you, too, that not only was I good at it, <laughs> I really loved it. And, and all of a sudden, know, you know, right? Okay, so go ahead. So, so I see we have parallel lives here. So go ahead, tell me your story. This is interesting. Oh my gosh, yes. So, mm-hmm. so pretty much that was it. This happened to my friend, and then again, like I said, you've got that mama bear mode. That mm-hmm. so help me God, if anyone did anything to one of my kids, I would. And mm-hmm. then there was this huge ellipsis after it. It's like. Mm-hmm. I would do nothing because I don't know how to do anything. I mean, mm-hmm. I can John Wick in my head all I want, but the mm-hmm. truth of the matter is I had no clue how to do anything. Yeah. And that, that was just a huge wake-up call for me that I could not protect my family. And my husband, whom I love with every fiber of my being, I will be honest and tell you he is the proverbial lover, not a fighter. Mm-hmm. So That's okay. if, if the crap's going to hit the fan, the yeah. kids know, call mom. Call mama bear. Papa <laughs> <laughs> yes, is a great guy, bear, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. <laughs> that's really – well, and, 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 so and that's that. really interesting. Uh, it's something I've never thought of um, because we men are supposed to be the natural protectors. Now, I am extremely protective. You know, I look nerdy as hell. I mean, I mean I'm not the image of what you would think of as a tough guy, for example, but uh, I've got, you know, swords and knives and, you know, you know guns, and I, I, I used to do 1,000-yard rifle competitions. So I'm pretty deadly Ooh, out nice. to about – uh, 800, 600 yards completely. I was very accurate to 600. I, I haven't hunted. I want to do that at some point. But for targets, 600 yards, no problem. 800 yards, pretty good. 1,000 yards, that's where they separate the, the, the beginners from the experts. That 1,000 yards, for some reason, gotcha. that, that last couple hundred yards that the wind takes over, the drop and everything else like that. But when you start shooting long range, and you, when you can reach out and if had to touch someone at six to 800 yards, that's, that's a powerful feeling. Uh, and then when I started competing, I went IDPA, IPSIC, all I did a, a bunch of different things. I like IDPA because it was more realistic. That's the uh, International Defensive Pistol Association where you're shooting from cover. You shoot yeah. regular guns, not not the tricked out yeah. weird ones that uh, usually don't work because they're you know it, it's like that uh, that race because car that you have. Because they're tricked so, out and weird. The tri- yeah, they're weird. Yeah, the engineers. Hey, look, you take a basic Glock or or a basic 45, you know, 1911 style. It's been around for 100 years. <laughs> you know, well, the Glock's not so much, but they work. The engineers spend a lot of time making work. Don't fuss with them. They work fine. You know, shoot them mm-hmm. out of the box. Yeah. Pianki, did you have a comment? I thought I heard you wanted to get in here. Yeah, you know, another thing, too, is that uh, mm-hmm. women should wear their guns. <clears throat> Even yeah. if it's a fashion statement and they're just wearing a holster. They should have the gun on their hip. Mm-hmm. They should have a stack barrel derringer in their bra. And they should have a six-inch hat pin in their hair. Jackie's pretty and, right, too. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, here's another thing, too. The NRA has a program that's designed for young kids. It's called Eddie Eagle. And that's something yeah. you might want to look up. 
Yeah. You already know about it? Yes, sir. I already teach it. That's good. That's good. And, you know, state legislatures usually have, and I'm going to say all, a fund, whereas a school can get money to order the material, which is coloring books and other things that is attracted to the attention of young kids, whereas they can learn why they're doing coloring books and so forth and so on. But that's a marvelous program, and it's well served for the community. I agree. It's a phenomenal program. And what what I always find so funny is when people are reluctant to introduce firearms and firearm safety to kids, they're like, well, you're bringing guns into the picture, and, and we, we don't want to introduce them to guns, and we don't want guns around them. And I so want to tell them, guys, the guns are out there. They're everywhere. <laughs> They're already there. Yeah. They're well, already my... there, so I'm sorry. You're living in a fantasy world if you think me coming into the classroom with firearms is the first your kids will ever see of guns. It's, I can almost promise you it's not. Well, that's part of the reason I taught my daughter to shoot at eight years old because I knew she was going to go to friends, and those friends' parents are going to have guns. I don't know if they're as careful as I am, and I wanted her to know if she ever saw one, what to do. You know, leave it, go get an adult. I mean, that's that's the basic plan. Exactly. But uh, but she yep. she knew she knew about she knew about guns so much she was bored with them. <laughs> you know, okay, Dad, I don't want to see the guns anymore. Okay, good. That's this is a good reaction. I'm happy with that. So she had no curiosity. Because I already taught her, and she was good at it too. <clears throat> but uh, but kids, they need this in school. It should almost be a requirement, especially in this country, to to because it is such a tradition, and the guns are out there. The kids really need to have a gun, you know, safety course as part of the regular uh, <clears throat> the regular school in junior high, probably junior high actually. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm flying airplanes now, at 16, you know, so why why wouldn't kids learn about guns? Anyway, go ahead. It's it's funny you said that because um, I have the same thing here at my house. Um, I'm not sure if you know, but I actually have 12 kids. And wow. All of my Congratulations. Kids. <laughs> yeah. Why, thank you, thank you. You got an army. <laughs> and you got your own army. Kids. Yes, I yeah. do. I did wow. that on purpose, absolutely. Huh. <laughs> Interesting. So all of my kids, we have firearms. Um, you know, we, we use firearms on the regular. We go to the range. We train together. We shoot together. And like you said, it's almost to the point of, I won't say boredom, but my kids understand that a firearm is simply a tool, no right. different than a fork or a broom or a hammer or whatever. You, huh. It's a tool that you use for a specific need, whether that need is um, trap shooting, whether that need is a day at the range, or whether that need is protecting your little sister or your younger brother. Or your mom. There's need for that tool. But if there's no need for that tool, it's where it is and it stays there until it's needed. Do you guys all have T-shirts when you go shooting, like the same one? You know, Petticord Troop or Troop Petticord or something like that? <laughs> something <laughs> like that. We we actually have a shirt that um it says Peta Peeps on it. And, Uh-oh. you know, Peeps, the uh, little marshmallow Peeps. Uh, actually, I don't, but that's ours. okay. Yeah. You don't know what? Oh my gosh! You need to Google marshmallow peep. I can't I'll, believe I'll there's somebody on the planet who doesn't know what a peep is for crying out loud. I know but what a peep is. I don't know what a marshmallow peep is. I mean, you know, give me a little credit. Oh, you gotta look that up. You gotta look <laughs> I, that up. I, I'm writing it down. But 
we have shirts that says Petticord Peeps because I always call my kids my peeps. And we right. have T-shirts that has a separate peep, and it's got each kid's name on it. And oh, then there God. are two big bunny peeps for me and my husband. Oh, wow. <laughs> you should form like a rifle team. or a, I, I can just see you doing like single action shooting, you know, the cowboy action shooting. And you all get out there. Oh, now it's God. time for us to get out in the range. Here we go. Yeah. John Wayne. <laughs> This would be fun. Come on, y'all. We go into the brain. Yeah, see, you have to work on your John Wayne accents. That'd be kind of fun. Yeah. Anyway, um, something that Pianchi brought up earlier that's a really important point, I think, and that is the open carry of firearms. Uh, both Pianchi and I believe that the, the normalization of the sight of guns on people, um, especially mothers, you know, we have a problem in Florida now where you can't uh, uh, carry a gun if you're between 18 and 21. And like, what, what about the 19-year-old uh, single moms? I mean, they can't carry a gun? Are you crazy? You know, and so there's some laws that need changing, and that's what we do here. That's, that's, that's the whole point of Action Radio uh, is that we're not just a radio show. We're actually our citizen legislature. And so we go directly into things. I post a couple of our bills. Uh, on your Facebook Messenger, which you can read at your leisure, and uh, we're going to be talking. Yeah, I, I, I expect to hear a lot from you on the show, so I'm, I'm kind of uh, happy with the way this is working out. But wouldn't, you know, that is one of the most important things. Now, do you, do you have open carry in Ohio or no? Or is it just constitutional? Or, we or do. That? You do have we open do. carry. We do. We have constitutional and we have open carry. We have both. Well, constitutional is open carry, if I may differ with you slightly. Uh, they tried that nonsense here in Florida. They said, well, we're, we're giving you, uh, without a permit, that's constitutional carry. I said, no, it's not. I said, and we even have Florida Carry, which is a good organization. I said, no, it's only constitutional if it's open carry. The Constitution does not make a distinction between carrying in the home and carrying outside the home. It doesn't make a distinction between, you know, permit and non-permit. Uh, and it doesn't make a distinction between carrying openly, you know, or carrying concealed. None of those things apply to the Second Amendment. So the only constitutional carry that I recognize is full, open or concealed, no permit, carry where you want. It's an absolute right, you know, to, to uh, keep and bear arms. Make sense? I will agree with that. Yes, okay, good. Absolutely. That was easy. Do you carry openly? Yep. You can tell me or not. Your choice. I do not, simply because of where I live. Tell me why. I'm curious. Because... Uh, no, I'll, t- I'll happily tell you, because okay. I feel it makes me an unnecessary target. Why is that? Because for me, carrying concealed gives me an element of surprise. Um, I am, like I said, I'm a middle-aged black woman. I'm mm-hmm. kind of fluffy, so I, I don't <laughs> <Fluffy>. necessarily... <laughs> I know, did you like that? That's a great description. <laughs> Hey, listen, I'm an old white guy, I, you know, and I, I would do it. So, you know. Well, but for me, I don't look like the person I am, and I use that to Neither my do I. advantage. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I look like a California like hippie. somebody who could smoke you yeah. very quickly yeah. if, you, if you bother me. I don't look like that kind of person. And but, I like it that way. I don't like drawing attention to you myself. You guys got me cracking up. <laughs> I, I've already decided I want candy for a regular reporter, so we'll talk about that off the air sometime. You're, you're already in if you want to do it. Uh, this is too much fun. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. See, see how easy this is? I, I make command decisions really fast around here, so I'm, and I'm usually right. Um, 
But I think open carry. I agree is, with her. I agree with her, Greg, because I've okay. seen uh, videos of, where people come up behind someone and snatch the gun out and run with it. Yep. But uh, yep. and so that is a that that is it just depends. And then I've been in Texas where people wear their guns just like they did in uh, back in the 1800s. But yep. what I was going to ask her: Do you do your do you have participants in? A league like a bowling league, but you have a gun league. Everybody meet up and have, you know, contests amongst each other for target practice there in the in the gun range. Do you have things like that? Yes, actually, yes, I do. I am a chapter facilitator for three chapters of a girl and a gun. Well, that's great. And what's and before you leave, make sure you give your contact on your information if it's uh, available for the public. We'll do it now, and then we'll Absolutely. do it again at the top of the to. hour. Yeah, go ahead. Let's do it now, and then we'll do it again at the top of the okay. hour. Okay, so uh, I am Candy Petticord, and I am a chapter facilitator for A Girl and a Gun, Stark and Summit, Ohio, Akron, Ohio, and North Coast, Ohio. Those are my three chapters, mm-hmm. and um, you can reach me at Candy P, A-G, A-G, Akron, at gmail.com. Yeah, send it to me a messenger too, because I'll be I'll be emailing you some stuff. This is this is very interesting. So Absolutely. this is this is this strikes me um, as a as a very traditionally white area of Ohio. I would think Akron, you know, the old Akron, the the the, the tire companies, the other stuff is this is this is this is old style Middle America. You're you're in the I got to put like the Rust Belt now or what it is, but uh, it, it sounds like but maybe it's changing. You know, I, I actually drove through Akron when I moved to California, but that was back in 1984. So this is a long time ago. Has it changed much since the area? It has changed. Yes, it has okay. changed substantially, and uh-huh. unfortunately, not for the better. Do you have a gang problem? Yes. Okay. How's your How's your illegal alien population? Uh, probably high. Okay. Cause we have, uh, different bills. One of them is civil asset forfeiture. And so, uh, this is where your County Sheriff could uh, literally just seize any property of any illegal alien. Uh, not because they're, not because it's an immigration issue, but because it's a criminal issue. They're in the country illegally. And so if you wanted mm-hmm. to look into that, <clears throat> there's a lot of things we can do, uh, in terms of legislation that might help. And and gun people are activists, you know, you know, especially uh, female gun people, especially as I'm learning, black female gun people are extremely active, just because, just because it's not expected. Uh, well, how's your family treat treat you with all this? What what are they thinking? Well, what's Candy done this time? Oh she gosh, always was a little it. crazy. <laughs> oh, they do love it. Okay, good. They yeah, pretty much. They love it. They absolutely okay. love it. And I have, um, I am not a Facebook person, but. Because I'm a part of a girl and a gun, I must have a Facebook presence, which has actually ended up benefiting me because my family now knows what I do and they cheer me on. They're, they're ecstatic. And I found out there are members of my family who were part of secret service, who were part of the FBI, who were law enforcement and we never knew it. Yeah. Yeah. We never knew it. (laughs) So they've come out of the closet, so to speak? They've come out of the law enforcement closet? Very much so. They're like, you know what? If she can come out, we can come out. (laughs) 
Oh, that's fascinating. You know, they could actually help a lot, too, because, you know, federal firearms training is pretty good. Uh, some of their, their yeah. understanding of the Constitution is a little lacking. But as far as actual gun training, I was, uh, I was briefly a customs agent. Um, after 9-11, they had this, this program, this nine-week wonder program, because uh, they really needed customs inspectors like right now. And apparently I was, I was 42, so I was too old to be an agent. Uh, this is like, you know, over 20 years ago. Um, but uh, I could be an inspector. And it was great for a while. Then they told me I was too old. And they said, well, the job for you is going to be stamping passports. And that's the rest of your career because you're too old for anything else. I'm like, I don't think so. So I gave them a few months and they, they refused to move me anywhere else. And I ended up leaving. But uh, the firearms training, I, I, I qualified as a distinguished expert on a pistol. You know, I, I was one of the few that actually uh, in, our, in our paintball simulation, I actually took out the instructor with, with paintballs. So, you know, and, wow. and Army Rangers were, were getting, you know, you know, shot in the face. You know, I'm like, you know, here I was, you know, 42 and not the fastest person in the world, but I was smarter uh, and I used cover better. And so there's, a, there's a, you know, you don't have to be the, you know, the biggest, baddest, fastest person out there. You've got to be the smartest. And that, I, do, I don't yeah. know if you teach that with guns at all, use of cover, things like that. How, how does that apply for people that I are not? I absolutely do. Yeah. Tell me. Well, I, I absolutely do because... Let's say my son, Michael, for example, Michael is extremely fast. He's a young man. He he draws quickly. He's accurate as as a pinhead. I mean, he's amazing, but Mm -hmm. he's also a young guy. Mm -hmm. Then we have my daughter, Abby, who is not as fast, but she is as accurate as they come. I mean, Abby Mm -hmm. will smoke you. There's, there's okay. no doubt about it. Do, do your kids know they're going on uh, worldwide radio? I just, I, I just want to let you know that the, that we are heard in Cuba and Vietnam and uh, you know Iceland and Argentina and a bunch of other places That's around awesome. the world. So yeah, it is. So just that. Uh, awesome. Yeah, you know, I, I always like to say that just so the kids, you know, this, <laughs> their names are going to be up there too now. So it's eh, just a little disclaimer. Now, uh, yeah, go ahead, Pianki. <laughs> now, what about <laughs> concealed carry insurance? How do you? And, and let me say this: You are very unique. You have twelve children, and see, Greg. When I was coming up, it wasn't unusual to find a mother that had, you know, eight, nine kids. Mm-hmm. And this lady here is very unique in her conservatism, mm-hmm. because <laughs> that is the picture of America. It really is that I remember. But mm-hmm. getting back to it, how do you, do you provide and make sure that you got the, the insurance for your uh, yourself and remind others that in case that something do happen, uh, that uh, we know that this type of society that we live in today, and they have to have that protection. It's not that expensive, but it's ne- needed protection anyway. Yes, I absolutely do. I have uh, insurance for myself. All my kids who carry have insurance. My husband carries. He has insurance. I'm big on that because, God forbid, you that awful day happens, you need mm-hmm. to know that you've got that legal backup. You, you've got to have it. Yeah, interesting. So, so you think Candy's unique? I mean, I mean, aren't there just tons of, uh, you know, black female, twelve kid, gun owning, instructing women out there? I mean, you know, conservatives. I mean, Thank this you. Is, this is America, You're right? On every corner, man. You must be everywhere. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> this is hysterical. Um, um, we're, I don't know where to go from here. I'm, I'm having way too much fun with this, but um, I know, right? Comp- yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, competition. 
I find competition, and, and I'm very competitive, but I'm not usually very good. You know, I was never going to be an Olympic pole vaulter, for example, because athletically I'm, I'm terrible. <laughs> I just love doing it. Um, I love playing tennis. Never, hardly ever won a game. Didn't care. Uh, but competition with firearms made me so much better. You know, the, a little bit of stress. Right. Well, you know, the uh, the idea of, of competing. Uh, you know, when I was competing against the the, the Army Rangers at uh, the thousand yards, they all, they won every time. I didn't care. I just like being out there. <laughs> you know, and I got pretty good and surprised right. a few you times. Right, you just like doing it. But mm-hmm. yeah, and, and but the idea of competition. See, one of the biggest problems I think with with uh, firearm shooters is they stand there passively shooting at a paper target that doesn't move. There's no stress. They, they don't. There's there's no use of cover. They're out there in the open. And they're taking their time squeezing that shot off. But in a real defensive situation, that is as far from realistic as it gets. And so competition is one of the safest ways to get a little bit of stress, um, get some time, you know, and there's a risk, you know, if you pull that trigger too early, you know, got to keep your finger on the side of the gun, where, where all the things that you talk about in gun safety actually come into play. You really have to follow the rules. Yeah. Otherwise, A, a you'll be disqualified. But B, you can shoot yourself in the foot or worse. You know, you could do some things, and, but you need that stress because in a, in a real defensive situation, that stress is going to be a thousand times stronger. That adrenaline is going to be a thousand times higher in your system. And if you don't have any kind of discipline that you haven't at least competed, you're missing something in your, in your training, I think. Correct. And that is one of the things that I really stress with my ladies. Um, mm-hmm. I stress for them to at least try competition shooting because in the gun world, especially for newer shooters, they Mm -hmm. tend to see um, shooting in two different camps. There's competitive shooting and there's defensive shooting and there's two different camps. And what Mm -hmm. I try to make them understand is no, (laughs) they're actually not. They're one and the same because the skills that you learn when you shoot competitively are also the exact same skills that you want to have mastered if you are ever caught in a defensive situation. You need to move. You need to be behind cover. You need to recognize the difference between cover and concealment. You what may is the be in. Let's, let's talk about that because that's really important. Okay. Okay. So um, I'm going to assume you don't know. So concealment is exactly what it says. Concealment is going behind something, under something, whatever, that is hiding you from someone who is attempting to cause you harm. However, that concealment may or may not offer you protection. It's just hiding you from being able to see you. So an example of that would be sheetrock or, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. no, sheetrock or what's that stuff? I'm trying to think of it. um, Plywood. That you hang up in houses when you're plywood, that kind of stuff. That kind of stuff is not going to protect you. And the average door nowadays is not going to protect you because Mm. they're not those solid wood doors that we used to have or solid Mm -hmm. metal doors. So you can't count on that then you're looking for cover. So cover is something that will not only conceal you, but it will also protect you from any incoming rounds. And a a wonderful example that I love to use is, do you guys have Target where you are? Do you guys have Target stores where you are? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
Target. So <laughs> we, we don't go there anymore, yeah, though. We're Target. boycotting, but you know, <laughs> but that's okay. I know, okay. right? We're boycotting yeah. them. But yeah. um, in uh, at least in the Targets here in Ohio, they mm-hmm. have these massive red balls in front of the uh, main doors. They're massive concrete balls. Those oh. are phenomenal for cover. They are phenomenal because oh. they're just massive concrete balls. So if you're ever caught in a situation like that, that would be a perfect cover. Now, of course, it's temporary, as pretty much any cover is. If you're in a gunfight, you don't want to stay in any one place for right. an extended amount of time. You get behind cover, and you're always looking for better cover while you're trying to take out that threat. Um, another awesome cover is your car's engine block. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people think, oh, I can just hide behind the door of my car like Mm-mm. they see on TV. Yeah, no, that was Adam 12. That bullet's going to go straight <laughs> well. through that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. especially since they're not making cars the way they used to. Remember those steel heavy cars that we used to drive? They don't make them college. like that anymore. That old Dodge. There you go. <laughs> that thing would save your they life. Don't, they don't make them like that anymore. And yeah. the thingies, the plastic that they have out there now, mm-hmm. pistol rounds will penetrate those easily. So, nope, not behind a door, not something mm-hmm. like that. You want to be behind the engine block or tucked into a wheel well. That's another good place that will protect hmm. you. So, um, when you're out and about, it's always kind of good practice to just kind of look around that if the unthinkable were to happen, where could I get behind? What can I hide behind? What's going to give me concealment until I can find good cover? And it's, it's all a matter of thinking on your feet and engaging tactics. I'm resisting the, uh, the obvious humor potential of talking about uh, targets, huge balls for cover, but I'm, I'm, I'm resisting. I just, I won't go there. (laughs) <laughs> I'm not touching it. <laughs> uh, you started it. Don't blame me. Uh, but anyway, I, I, I know exactly what you mean. I'm just I'm trying to, to maintain my decorum here without cracking myself up. Um, you have an instructor voice. I don't know if you know this, but it's it's really interesting. When you're into your topic, uh, you start speaking slower, uh, more more technically. Uh, it's really interesting to listen to. So when you're animated, and we're joking around. It's one thing, but you you have a definite instructor voice. It's really good, actually. So I think a lot more people will listen to you because oh, of it. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Thank Pianchi, you. Do you I that appreciate too? that. Well, you know, mm-hmm. I was okay. looking. Go ahead, Pianchi. I was looking on the internet. A girl in the gun is all over the country. Is this you on the, uh, you Alicia? Is that you? I'm Candy. I'm Candy. Candy, okay. I do, I do yeah, know Alicia, though. But... but That's not a code name like Bambi, and that's your real name, right? I'm just teasing you. That's my real name. I'm trying... Try calling someone to confirm a, a private lesson and having their wife answer the phone. And you're like, yeah, I'm your husband's instructor, Candy. Yeah, that goes over well. <laughs> <laughs> that goes over real well. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, you must teach a lot of men, you know, if you're teaching just in general, right? I do. I teach. I'm actually surprised by how many men I teach. And okay. they love working with me. Yeah. Is there an advantage to, to teaching men as a woman? As a woman? Excuse me. Do you think? Yes. Because um, I feel that I am able to 
slow things down for them if they need it, and it is not stressful to their ego. Because a lot of men come into my classes with their ego on their shoulder, and hmm. they realize with me, they I don't need all that, hun. I will meet you wherever you are. And if you're honest enough to tell me you have no clue how to handle that pistol in front of you, great. Then that's where we'll start. If you tell me you used to shoot 20 years ago, you haven't shot anything since then, great. That's where we'll start. I am always willing to start exactly where you are, but you have to be honest with me because Mm -hmm. even if you're not honest with me, hon, once we hit the range, I will see everything I need to see. And actually, (laughs) I'll see it when we're dry practicing in the classroom. I'll see it from the second you walk up to that firearm. And Mm -hmm. people don't understand that I am not judging them, but assessing them from the moment I call them and say, Joe, can you come up here and show us how you would grip this firearm? From the moment you get up, your response, I am assessing you. Are you reluctant? Are you guarded? Are you open? Are you, are you passing off that energy that's telling me, I don't have a clue what I'm doing. That's why I'm here, and I want to learn. And it's, it's really cool. It's really, really cool if you come into it with an open mind, and just realize you don't know who's sitting in front of you, so you need to find out who are they, what do they need, and how can I serve them. That's what I do with everything I do. How can I serve you? How can I bless you? How can I encourage you? And then we go from there. That's wonderful. And I never thought about it until we started talking about it. I'm just, I'm thinking that men, you know, with a male instructor are going to want to show that instructor how good they are. It's kind of like a guy thing, but with you, they don't have anything to prove. Yeah. So that's, that's really, yeah. that's interesting. Huh. Do And, and I, the I kind other of, thing I found too, go ahead. Is no, no, that, go ahead. that works well with women as well, because uh-huh. um, you will find out that women tend to be outstanding shooters. Mm-hmm. And that a lot of times that's because they don't bring anything to the table. They don't bring ego. They don't bring any of that. They will happily tell you, I have no clue what I'm doing. Teach mm-hmm. me. And because yeah. they're so willing to learn, if you teach a woman properly, she will excel because she will do exactly what you tell her to do. Yeah, women are more trusting. Uh, it's interesting. I used to teach flying, and I hope to again. But uh, when I was a flight instructor uh, in my early 30s, uh, I had more women students than just about any other instructor because I treated all my students equally. Uh, I wasn't more demanding. I wasn't less demanding. I didn't teach more or teach less. I mean, whether they were older, you know, I had a 75-year-old student. I had high school kids. Uh, I had male students, female students. Everybody had the same standard. And because of that, you know, I think I was able to teach people pretty well. I was a tyrant with everybody. I was terrible. You know, I mean, benevolent dictators. That was probably a closer thing to the point. But here's what I found out. And I don't know if this is true with women in uh, firearms uh, and men. The, um, the guys, you know, the guys wouldn't listen as well. They thought they knew it all. They were more willing to sort of try things yep. on their own. Uh, and they, yep. they thought they, they knew better. And they'd find, but then they make a mistake. 
And then they go, gee, I better listen. And then, then they do it. But the guys in, a, in, a, in most situations would gut it out longer. They would try harder to find a solution. Because I, I put people in challenging situations, bad weather, crosswinds, things like that. And the guys would work longer before asking for help or, or giving up. Now, the women would listen better. They trusted me more. They learned faster, but, they're, but they gave up faster, too. If a situation got really challenging, they were, they, they were faster to say, you take over. You, you, you know, get me out of this situation. Do you see that with guns gotcha. at all? What do you think? Yes. Actually, okay. yes, I do. And uh, the ladies, um, especially if husbands are involved at all, mm-hmm. the ladies who give up quicker are the ones who, well, I don't know how to rack this. My husband always does that for me. I don't know how to mm. load mags. My husband always does that for me. I don't know how to this. My husband always does that for me. And I will counter that with, well, gee, I hope standing right there when that uh, <laughs> potential threat jumps out from the around the corner. Cause, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. if yeah. he's not, hun, you're screwed. Yeah. Well, on that topic, um, guns for women. Let's talk about that for a bit. In fact, I've got John Delmonico, who's the guest in the next hour. I might bring it on a couple of minutes early. And you're welcome to stick around, too, because this is fun. I'm having a good time. I here. got a picture of <laughs> you. She's very beautiful. Her husband is well, very go. lucky. Oh, yeah. Well, Aww, well, good for him. Good for you. her. That's, that's wonderful. Aww, yeah. so, <laughs> see, I told you you're among friends here. Um, so, so, and, and, so a girl and a gun, did you start that organization or you just have chapters in your Oh, area? my gosh. No, 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 no. Okay, I just want to get that um, clear. Brilliant. Um, two brilliant ladies, Juliana Crowder, started it. And uh-huh. our current top dog is Robin Sandoval. And she is, oh, my gosh, both of these ladies are phenomenal. But Robin's at the helm right now, and she is phenomenal. I mean, I, I tip my hat to that lady because she, she is amazing. There Why don't you bring her on the show? enough time. Yeah. Bring her on the I, show when, you've got, uh, when we get your report going here. <laughs> this is fun. I would love it. I would love it. I would yeah. love it. Now, okay. I do have to tell you, unfortunately, I have to step off because okay, um, I have another meeting at 10. Oh, but, my. Um, Such a busy I life. I texted you. I know, right? You don't even yeah. know. <laughs> so I texted you my um, um, information, okay. and you will have that. And it's got all the stuff that I do because I'm also um, a state leader for D.C. Project. Um, I'm the training coordinator for Buckeye Firearms Association. I'm Mm -hmm. a board member for Faster Saves Lives here in Ohio. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a USCCA instructor. I'm an NRA training counselor and life member. So I got a little stuff going on. (laughs) Well, I was just thinking, you know, I I need like a five-minute theme just to list your resume. (laughs) Pretty incredible. Yeah, she's got a big resume. You know, me and Greg is a... Indulge with write your laws where citizens can write the laws that they wish to be ruled by. And I myself is a volunteer for a convention of states which is trying to have an Article 5 uh, Constitution of Convention to uh, make sure that our Second Amendment rights are protected. So I may be contacting you later on or even him too because this is something that the members of uh, who you work with should know about. And looking at uh, Ohio, I think Ohio has signed on that legislature with the proposal. So we'll be in touch. Okay, that sounds awesome. 
Guys, this has been amazing, and I really, really hope we get to do this again really soon. This is. Oh, I want to talk to you about being a regular. I just got to find time and, and see how much you know what we want to do and how we're going to figure it out. But uh, yeah, yeah, you're in. Let me, let me get my my uh, uh, where is it here? My my applause once again. There we go. <laughs> That's so awesome. <laughs> you, you have no idea. That I've got buttons you know, of all kinds of stuff. You know yeah, what? Just... I am a really, really cheap date. I'm telling you that right now. It takes very little to keep me very happy. I'm a cheap date. So I'm a, a round of applause and she's ours. <laughs> Pianki, what do you think? Two rounds of applause know, right? and she's ours. She's in. All right, Candy. Well, she's one of your, one of your better guests. Oh, yeah. No, this case is incredible to meet you. Yeah, yeah, well, I get lucky sometimes. You know, we just get amazing people. Uh, and I'm glad we could work this out. So, Candy, you have a wonderful weekend, great time. We'll talk. Uh, we'll get you on next Friday. We'll figure out how the, we can figure this all out, and we'll just come there. Thanks, darling. Appreciate Sounds it. Sounds good. We'll talk soon. Right. Bye, guys. Sounds good. All right, you take care. All right, so I got uh, a couple of minutes. Let me take a quick break here, then we'll get John Delmonico, another good oh, that's person. That's just so wonderful there. Yeah. This oh, organization yeah, she's is all over the country. I didn't even, I never knew they existed, but they all yeah, over the place. Well, you know, I knew about DC Project. I knew about DC Project because of Shirley. You know, Shirley Watchell, who was on for better part of a year, she's the Florida chair. So I don't know if Candy's the 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 Ohio chair, or, or maybe she just works with DC Project. But some of those I know. But this, but the, but the whole gun organizations are exploding. Women gun organizations are exploding. Uh, I don't know how many black women instructor gun organizations are exploding, but she's amazing. You know, so it's it, this has been a real pleasure. So uh, I just, you know, I'm just lucky founder, do, do what I normally do, look around Facebook. You know, people contact me or I contact them, and, and we just start talking. I never talked to her before. This is the first time we've actually seen her first. She yeah. goes against the grain. She's a gun enthusiast, strong proponent for the Second Amendment. She's black, and she has 12 kids. Can you imagine going in? I got 12 kids in the atmosphere that we date. Have today with uh, seemingly everybody's against kids. Well, I'm glad you're here because I had a feeling you'd want to talk to her. I just had that feeling, so I was was kind of hoping you'd be on the line. If you were, you were certainly going to be on the line next time. So so that worked out well. So uh, John, hang on for a minute. I'll get right to you in just a bit. I got to play a couple things, and we'll be right back. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. This is Greg Pankless. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system.
You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. All right, so now we have our second gun guest of the day, and this has been great because it just it just worked out this way, you know. I mean, uh, the 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 radio gods in the sky provide some wonderful things sometimes. So I'm going to make uh, John Delmonico's line live, and then I'm going to tell you a story. Um, so all of a sudden, we've we've got a gun group here at Action Radio, uh, the Action Radio Gun Page, and I post all kinds of gun stories. We've got the governor of New Mexico there. We've got different guns. We've got, uh, you know, it's a fairly active page, one of our more active groups here, and this group started showing up, the Women's Firearm Academy. I thought, okay, well, this would be interesting because, uh, you know, like I say, I like to promote women and guns. Obviously, I had candy on. Uh, and I'm thinking, and then the, this, this person starts writing me, J.D. I'm thinking, well, this, this must be the gun chick, you know, of, of Women's Firearm Academy. And so we're going back and forth. And then I finally found out his name is John DeMonico. I said, you're a dude. He said, yeah, last time I looked. <laughs> so we're just kind of cracking up over that. It's been funny. So, John DeMonico, welcome to Action Radio. How you doing? Hey, hey, thanks for having me. Well, let's give him a round of applause, too. <laughs> so we just had uh, Candy Pettigrew on, and, and I never talked to her, and I've never talked to you either. So this is this is like two firsts. But you've got a story too, uh, and it's completely different than Candy's. You know, I don't think you're you're a black woman with twelve kids living somewhere in Ohio. You're in Wyoming somewhere, right? Or Montana? It's Montana, uh, Montana. right? Montana. Yeah, so Montana. So let's hear your story, dude. You're still a dude. Okay, that's good. Well, if you're in Montana, you better be. I don't know. Even the women are dudes in Montana. Um, but that's no. pretty country. <laughs> but it's it's freezing cold out there. Why why are you in that ridiculously cold place? You know, it's a great place to live. Okay. But, I've heard that. Uh, it's, uh, yeah. It's a fantastic area. It's a great place to live. And, you know, mm-hmm. fortunately, we're in a part of the country where we still have a fair amount of our freedoms left. Right. Well, and now I'm wondering if it's because the fact that it's, it's not a huge population, you don't have, you know, massive cities, uh, you don't have, you know, liberal mayors destroying everything. Uh, you probably don't have a big Democrat. If, you know, the Democrats kind of hide in Montana, it's probably not a large amount. I'm sure even the, the liberal Republicans hide. Yeah, you know, it's actually kind of the opposite, unfortunately. It, oh, really? The rural areas are, are fairly conservative, but now, especially with the influx of people in the last four or five years, the uh, cities are getting concentrated, and they're starting to concentrate on the left, unfortunately. How many uh, is that because of the illegal population that's coming in, or is it just uh, liberals are moving in? I think that just everyone's trying to flee the areas they've already destroyed, so now they're coming to our areas to try and work on that. The the leftist locusts, yeah. So Ted Turner, (laughs) is is that where where Ted Turner's ranch is, is in Montana? Yeah, he's up here and a few other people, but, you know, he's trying to avoid You didn't start off there. You were from California originally, right? Yeah, so we were uh, born and raised in Southern California, and then uh, my wife's from Northern California originally. But you don't have the accent. I mean, you got to like talk surfer, you know? Like, dude, you know, <laughs> it's a it's a surf's up, and then we're gonna have pizza, and then we're gonna have a great time, and it's like California. This is cool. Yeah. Anyway, I can do accents too. Yeah. Um, tell me yeah, a story. That's outstanding. <laughs> well, I, yeah, well, you, you're the, the redneck one from the first hour, but uh, yeah. Um, no, so so basically the same questions I had uh, that I asked Candy. How did you get started? Were you always interested in guns? Was uh, uh, Do you have a law enforcement background? Do you, did, did you hunt as a kid? Especially in California, which is like anti-gun, anti-freedom, anti-everything, especially Southern California. 
You know, you might as well be in uh, in a gulag, <laughs> you know, living in Southern California uh, as far as guns go. So, so tell me your story from let's start at the beginning. When did you first get interested? Uh, you know, I I kind of fell into it when I was young. My parents put me in a uh, explorer program with the police department when I was thirteen. And really? It just did you ride along there? Or yeah. What did you do with the explorer program? How does that work? Yeah. So it was kind of a form of the Boy Scouts at the time, and mm-hmm. they put you through a small, like a mini academy, and you worked in the police department. So we went on ride-alongs, but we worked the front desk. We worked all the different divisions. We helped with reports and all kinds of stuff. At so 13? One of those things were, yeah, 13. <laughs> what? Yeah, it, it was crazy. Um, yeah, looking back, it's even crazier, right? Uh, but I kind of no. took to it. And so from that time on, I worked in law enforcement in one way or another for the last... 30 plus years federal state local all of the above tell me what you uh, did. all, all yeah. local yeah it was all local. okay why local yeah i never trust the feds um yeah interesting i, I never went to, yeah even back then the, the feds weren't you know the cream of the crop at least in that area um, how far back then are we talking so we, about which so that was Ephraim a Zimbalist junior that was late uh, you know F- no, it's late the 80s, tv early show 90s. Uh, okay yeah late 80s early 90s uh, okay. So I came on uh, for a reference point right um, right as Rodney King was happening. Oh, wow. Huh. In L.A. at that time. So so you were you like a rookie cop, you know, when the, when the Rodney King riots were happening? Yep. That's when, I, that's when I started. Anything you want to tell us about that, that uh, particular chapter? I'm curious. It was just a surreal time. Especially, Why? you know, I was... It, Growing up in that area, so I didn't. We never experienced like the Watts riots and things like that because I was too young. Right. But at that time, it was like a ghost town, and everything was on fire. And then in the pockets that were crazy, it was just mayhem. Uh, reference point today would be like if you looked at some of the riots that happened with BLM. That's yeah, I mean, riots are riots, and you know, and it's usually leftist causes, whether it's Antifa or BLM or any particular group that's uh, that's that's rioting. You know, it's uh, these are incredible. And the Watts riots I know about, but I, I don't even think I was in the country at that point because I was born in Canada. Uh, then my folks moved me to Australia, and I came to the United States when I was twelve years old. And this is in nineteen seventy-two. So I think okay. the Watts riots were like sixty-eight, sixty-nine. weren't they after Martin Luther King was assassinated? If I remember, yeah, I'm just right around that time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Pianki's on the line too, so Pianki, feel free to jump in with, uh, especially with history, because I want to make sure we get uh, we got our history correct. Okay. So the one thing I remember about uh, the whole episode with Rodney King, um, besides the fact that Reginald Dent got hauled out of a truck and was beaten to death with a concrete block, well, not to, well, or close to death, uh, with the Koreans, close to death. the Koreans yeah. and their SKS and AK-47 rifles were defending right. Koreatown. So, so you want to talk about the best use of firearms. You know, we've got rioters, we've got looters, and yet the Koreans going against California law with semi-automatic rifles. Now, were they banned at that point because of the uh, – uh, I've forgotten who the, the assassin was that uh, shot the school with an AK-47 that caused massive gun laws, you know, to, to try and stop criminals by taking guns from the good people. Um, that was intentionally sarcastic. Uh, but what happened? Tell me about Koreatown. Tell me about the law enforcement response. I'm curious. I've never got a chance to ask uh, about yes. I wasn't fully in that area, but I know that it was so lawless and everyone was, it was so chaotic that the cops weren't even responding to those calls. So we, everybody was really left on their own to, to defend okay. their stuff. And the, the people that did it had far less damage. It, you know, it, it's like any riot. It's an alien looting, excuse me, any looting situation. They're going for mm-hmm. the easy mark. If right. they meet resistance, they move on. 
right? Do you know if any? Thing. Do you know if any of the the folks that were defending Koreatown had to shoot a looter? What other instances of that uh, on the record? Not, not that I know of. I know there were shots fired. I don't know if they hit okay. anybody. So the reason I'm asking is because you know, we're talking about a defensive use of firearms, uh, a particular firearm that is particularly disgusting to the left in a liberal Los Angeles area where folks, you know, I mean, today, I mean, Gavin Newsom would prosecute them for that, for defending themselves. Sure. Sure. Back then, though, yet, it wasn't quite as bad. Okay. Interesting. So t- today, yeah, they get prosecuted hands down. There's no doubt about that. Back even, then, even though, though they didn't it, it, shoot anybody or had to, but 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 the, but there was that deterrent effect. And what this goes to is that when 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 everything falls apart, when you have complete anarchy, firearms can you know save your family and your property. And there's nothing wrong with saving property. People think, well, it's only property; it doesn't count. Yes, it does. Your life's invested. Your business is invested. You know, you can't get back the labor that it, that it took to build that business if someone steals it or destroys your business. So property counts, folks. I'm very you know, people tend to forget that. Um, but uh, do you know any other instances? Or the, I mean, the Koreans seem the best. Koreatown seems like the best example of a place that was left alone because they all get together and said, "Up, oh, not in our backyard." Well, so yeah, that's, that's probably the best these, example. You know, um, I think let's get John. Forget, Hold on, let's get, let's get John to finish first, then I'll get to Pianchi. John, go ahead. Sorry about that. I, I think what most people forget, though, is this, the Rodney King incident really started the whole cottage industry of, doing the police, having the riots, and getting a payout. Oh, what was the uh, – Pianchi, hold on a second. I've got to ask about this. What was the payout? Because now I just heard some of the BLM folks in New York uh, got paid millions of dollars for sure. their and that's what, that's for their what this all started. So Rodney King got a settlement right. from the city. The cops mm-hmm. beat the initial case at the state level, mm-hmm. rightfully so, but then the Fed stepped in and prosecuted mm-hmm. them on a civil rights violation, and there's no chance of those guys not getting convicted at that point. Right, which is double so jeopardy. So they understood. But, uh, you know, yeah. yeah, that's a whole separate issue. But I think everyone right. started to understand, look, if we, if we do these things, we can force a settlement. Right. We that's can force this. We can sue the, the cops. We can sue the kids. Oh, absolutely, 100%. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, and it's, it's unfortunate because everyone bought into it. And that's, that's what's, that was the, basically the match that lit the fire. In this whole industry. I had no idea. That's that's a really interesting revelation. So that's uh, that's that's a good insight. So thank you, Pianchi. You got a question for John or a comment? Well, see, here's the thing that happened. Koreans should file for reparations for what blacks did burning their businesses down. That's what should be happening because that's just what they did. Those were black looters, black rioters that came in and burned those Koreans' businesses down. The way blacks are trying to sue whites for slavery, some that didn't have anything to do with it, well, the Koreans need to be filing a lawsuit to make blacks pay reparations to them for their losses. They do have standing. That would be an interesting case. Yeah, as John's finding out, we're pretty open here about uh, what we discuss. And so uh, this, is, this is a very interesting uh, idea. Well, nobody has any impact from slavery. I mean, nobody today has slaves in the United States. You know, nobody today is a victim of slavery in the United States. It's not happening. Uh, and yet these, these myths persist. Um, but, uh, John, just, you know, from your own experience in law enforcement, did anybody ever come forward and, and actually make that uh, proposal that, uh, you know, that uh, black riders pay reparations to Koreans and others who had their stories no, destroyed? No, it's a great idea. No, yeah. it's a great idea. Well, it's not a reparation. It's actually a restitution. 
You know, and that's a very yeah. common thing. In, 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 go ahead. Tell me, you know where I'm going with this. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I think restitution is probably a better word for it. If, if you use that system against them, but I, I don't think it'll ever happen. You're not going to get a jury in California to agree to it. Well, just because they well, left the United States a while back. You may not get a jury to agree with it, but then, too, you got to ask when they come to you or when they yeah. pop up wanting to seek reparations or restitution from whites, Mm-hmm. Then now you got a stalemate there. We didn't get it from you for what you've done to the Koreans and probably others. Now you're asking for us to give it to you for something we didn't even have anything to do. The, those riots was more recent than 1,700 and 1,800 events. Yeah, I agree. I think the problem is the system's reached against you, especially if you look at the fee system. So if I sue you and I lose, then I could be culpable or responsible for your fees. Yeah, that's the problem, too. You should be able to bring a court case, even if you lose, uh, or, or especially if you lose, you know, it still is recorded as a court case, the fact that that challenge was made. And a lot of times, you know, when the Supreme Court does really horrible, bogus things, which they tend to do a lot, uh, then people go later and go, they see that case there? That was decided wrong. We're going to now move it this way. Roe v. Wade would be the typical, would be the perfect example. They totally screwed up that decision. That was an illegal decision, and it took 50 years for the court to fix it when the state's going to fix it a lot sooner if they had the gumption to actually do that. Um, I want to get on to more your, your specialty here, the, the Women's Firearm Academy and uh, going from, from Southern California to, uh, to Montana. So what was your experience in law enforcement in Southern California? Is that what caused you to move? Uh, no, actually, uh, we had kids. And California is not a place to raise kids. Okay. How, some parts of California yeah. are. Redding up north is very conservative. It's a nice area. I know it fairly well. Um, the Wood Hills, great place. There's a lot of conservative areas of California. There's small towns that are pretty decent, but the whole, you didn't like anything about the state of California. Yeah, no, it, we, we knew the direction was turning okay. and, and we can see it now. I mean, you already had high taxes. You already had restrictive laws and, and overreaching mm-hmm. government and it just okay. continued to get worse. And as soon as we had kids, it was just, we knew for sure we needed to get out and that was the best decision for our family. Yeah, so we're talking 80s, 90s, that kind of time? Late 80s, early uh, 90s? So right, uh, no, it's about, so, no, uh, early 2000s. Okay, so that makes a difference. So I remember, I got to California in 1984. <laughs> Interesting year. Um, and <laughs> what right. I remember, <laughs> exactly, it's, 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 kind of, it's an easy way to remember <laughs> it, right? Uh, but what I remember, right. when I got to San Francisco, I mean, I, my first weekend, I'm in Golden Gate Park, and I stumbled on Jerry Garcia's band, you know, Jerry Garcia from the Grateful Dead. <laughs> Big crowd of people, right. cloud of marijuana smoke, everybody having a good time. It was San Francisco. Uh, and mm-hmm. then, you know, California, San Francisco became stratified. You had the really rich, high-tech people, and you had the really poor homeless, and there was nobody in the middle. And California totally changed. But it started off, you know, when I was there, it wasn't that crowded. It had half the population. Population doubled in the time mm-hmm. I was there. But they didn't improve the infrastructure. You still had the same amount of reservoirs and power plants and highways and things like that. So it was totally inadequate to support the population. Uh, and we used to have these really good reco- re- Republican administrative boring governors, George Dugmajian. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows who he is, right? Probably one of the best governors we ever right. had. He was administrator. He kept the freeways open and, you know, kept things going and, uh, you know, built reservoirs and did good things. Uh, and after him was Pete Wilson was the, the police commissioner of Los Angeles. Not as good, um, but still a good governor. And then when Arnold Schwarzenegger, yeah, I'm the governor of California mm-hmm. now, yeah. 
you know, it just totally went, um, you know, flushed down the toilet. I mean, you know, he wasn't a Republican, first of all, but there was such a such a change in California that, you know, the the you know, the golden goose, you know, that laid the golden egg and created California. It was an incredible place to be when I was there in the 80s. But by the 90s, I could see it was already on its way down. So you probably noticed that, too. Uh, Yeah. Tell me in terms of law enforcement. Uh, so, so when did you start in law enforcement, and how, were you LAPD or, or, or which department? No, so I worked for some small agencies right outside of LA, uh, a lot of right outside of Los Angeles. One was Hawthorne, one was Torrance. Okay. So, uh, you so you're still LA greater. Actually. Just you're you're like LA, just a little just a little bit removed from LA, but not enough. <laughs> you're still close enough, right? Yeah. So we we bordered parts of Los Angeles uh, as well as um, you know Inglewood. Uh, you know where the Forum is. Mm-hmm. So that area. Okay. How close were you to Disney World or Disneyland? It was in Anaheim. Uh, so that was in Anaheim, so probably an hour out. Okay. All right. So for folks who don't know, L.A. is, is, is huge, as we know. It's in a bowl. <laughs> you know, so all the pollution yeah. gets, gets trapped in this bowl. Were you in that, that pollution you know, area, too? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. So how was law enforcement in L.A. when you were there what, uh, or, or that area uh, compared to – we'll get to Montana in just a little bit. But uh, how was working law enforcement uh, in the greater L.A. area? Um, at the time I came on, it was probably the tail end of the last generation of, like, real cops. So, you know, the places that I worked were pretty violent. Uh, mm-hmm. For instance, the, the one city was probably about seven square miles, and it had the most crime – across the board, petty crime all the way through violent crime and homicides for like the surrounding 10 or 12 agencies. Hmm. Uh, so we would run a graveyard. You could run 30, 40 calls a night. Uh, most Ooh, of them wow. all felonies, you know, but for, for me, it was great. You know, I have to be good at the job. I just, one of those things happened to be a talent of mine. So it wasn't mm-hmm. horrific, but we were involved in a lot of bad stuff and a lot of mm-hmm. violent crime. Um, the places I worked were primarily, you know, parolees, gangs, um, projects, things like that. So you saw the worst of the worst. I mean, you, you had some, some bad stuff going on there. Um, yeah, it was a busy city. But like I said, for, for us, it was great. It, it, was a good, it was a great learning experience, and I was really blessed to have a bunch of old-school cops teach me how to be a cop to be safe, how to talk to people, how to avoid those fights, how to talk them down. And if we had to fight, we knew how to fight. So what was different about them and when did it change and how did it change and how did the cops change? So tell me, tell me, describe an old school cop. Um, there were guys that just knew the street. They, they, okay. they, they could recognize people. They recognized behaviors. Um, you could look at someone and tell me, hey, look, what do you think this guy's doing? What do you think he's doing right now? And they could explain, okay, this is why he's a bad guy, right? Look at this movement. Look at this action. Very aware. Uh, they taught me a ton. Uh, we talk about some classes like awareness. To learn behavior. It's like learning how to drive a car. Mm-hmm. So one of the stories I use in class is I'm driving down the street as a new cop, and my training officer would say, hey, who was in that store? And I'm like, I, I didn't look, so I had to turn around and look in the store. So I got pretty decent at it. But we'd drive down the street, and he'd watch me. So if I looked at the store on the right, he asked me about the store on the left. Mm-hmm. Right. But it made me faster. It made me better. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Right. They, they taught us about how to talk to people. Right. 
how to how to understand what they're saying and how to get our point across so they understand what we're saying. You know, communication is a two-way street, mm-hmm. right? They've got to understand the message in order to receive it. So it's it, it, things like that. They're, they tell us about violence, what, like you know, what they're capable of, how it looks, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of different things that kind of went into it. Um, when it changed is probably the generation or two after mine. Uh, back then, it was a profession. It wasn't just a job, right? And I think that's but kind it of what wasn't, things. But the but the people that went into it, they didn't have you know masters in criminology or psychology degrees. These were high school graduates generally, right? But it was still a profession. Or am I wrong about sure, that? Sure, but yeah, but the, uh, and prior to prior to my generation or after you? Well, both. So the old school cops were, I mean, it was their life, but so they, they kind of created a profession. It's not an academic thing that they, that they went to. They learned from the cops sure. that, uh, that they're senior cops. So it was, Absolutely. It was like, the, okay, all right. Yeah, but the generation after ours, that's when they started requiring college degrees. That's when they started requiring affirmative action. That's when they started lowering standards. Okay, let's take all those three separately. <laughs> this is interesting. So, college, <laughs> so no, I, this is fascinating. Uh, so, college degrees. How did how did that affect the police? Um, well, it, it affected people because they, they weren't street smart. They didn't have this much common sense, if you want to put it that way. Right? No, you, put you it anywhere you want. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm asking it, the questions. That's why I'm curious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you could learn things from a book, right? right? But if you don't have someone show them to you or teach them to you. It's not real world experience. So um, a good example would be like your flight book, right? People mm-hmm. could read your book, but when they get in an airplane, it's a totally different experience. <laughs> yeah, that's why you have to do them together. You read a chapter, you go <laughs> right. fly, you go back and read the chapter. I mean, they, they, they're meant to be uh, – that book was written uh, at the level, you know, the private pilot is written for the private pilots, the student pilot is written for the students, the commercial and the ATP is written for a commercial and ATP. And I use language that's specifically geared for each level. And so the more you read it, you know, the beginning stuff is real simple. I don't use no aeronautical terms at all. And then I, uh, and I sort of advance it as I go through. So do you – of course, now I have to ask, do you fly or have wanted to learn to fly? Because a lot of cops fly. It's I very interesting. Have you I wanted to learn? I, I knew you. Um, at one point, I did. I haven't since. All right. All right. <laughs> no, the reason I, this is uh, I taught a lot of cops how to fly. You know, this is this is something right. I found fascinating. And it's interesting that uh, flying still mostly guys. Uh, and it's guys mm-hmm. that uh, are mechanics, plumbers, contractors, electricians, cops, you know, real basic, you know, nuts and bolts, uh, a lot of blue collar stuff because, and mm-hmm. I taught doctors and lawyers too, and they were hopeless. Oh my God, they were terrible pilots because uh, they were, they were arrogant and they thought they knew everything. And I imagine the <laughs> college to be cops are probably that same way. I went to college. I have a degree from, you know, UCLA in criminal psychology. I know more than you. Oh yeah, really? <laughs> Let's go on the street and find out. How am I doing? Sure. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, no, it's, it's pretty close. Yeah, it's pretty close. Yeah. So let me ask you a question. The people sure. that you taught to fly in those industries, do you think it's because they were more independent and they, they could think on their feet and solve those problems? Yeah, that, I, I think it's because they were generalists is, is the usual thing that, uh, that you okay. know, mechanics and, and, and other folks, they have to make decisions. They, uh, they have to think of a bunch of different factors. When you fly an airplane, there's a lot of things going on. When you're a cop, like I say, you've got to watch the store on the left, the store on the right. There's a lot of things going on. And people that focus so much, like if you're doing an academic degree, you're laser focused on your degree and the specific courses, you know, and the further up you get, if you get a master's or you get a PhD, you focus even more. It makes you less of a generalist and, and actually a worse pilot. 
you know, that's why the Supreme Court judges are, are the worst in the judiciary because they're the most focused, the most narrow-minded, and they've lost uh, the touch with everything else. It's really kind of interesting. Sure. Um, but but yeah. cops make really good pods because you're used to making decisions. You're responsible. You've handled emergencies. You know, there's a lot of things that are very similar. Um, and the reason I'm saying this is because uh, Pianchi is also a pilot. Um, the rules are changing, <laughs> especially in Montana. You might have a blast doing this, that uh, the, the light sport aircraft category is increasing. The speed's increasing. You know, instead of the, the 100 knot limitation, it's going to be like 200, you know, plus. Um, we've got these carbon fiber airplanes, 160 horsepower Rotax engines that are, you know, powered by auto gasoline, <laughs> you know, so the aviation world's about wow. to explode. So I'm just, I'm just dropping a hint right now. You might want to take a look at this. The things are changing. All right. So let's, let's go. Pianca, do you have a question before I totally change subjects? And I'm having way too much fun here again. We had two fabulous guests this, this show know, today. What I really know, uh-huh. Go ahead. Did he get involved in all these car chases that we see on YouTube? Helicopters yeah, we, involved? Yeah, OJ. Were you an OJ? Come on, let me know. Let, we got to know. <laughs> okay, so I, I got a funny story about OJ. I actually watched him drive by on the freeway. Oh, my God. OJ did the drive yeah, by and, for you? That's wild. Go my tell partner, me. My partner and I had a conversation about actually ramming him. Really? Why didn't you? Yeah, because uh, we thought we'd get fired. And so wait back, a minute. So, so anyway. we've got a, a, <laughs> an alleged murderer. You know, racing down the street in a in a white Bronco, everybody sees him, and you don't want to stop a, a criminal because you might get fired for it. You have to explain well, that. Well, so here's <laughs> the deal: it, when okay. when pursuits happen, they're jurisdictional, right? And that was LAPD's pursuit, and they already had you know twelve cars following the guy. So oh, helicopters, news. Just, yeah, <laughs> everybody world was, was following there. that guy. Yeah, right, okay. everyone was watching it. So, you know, as an agency, we, our rule was just to block the, the entrance of the freeway so traffic didn't get in the way and didn't get hurt. Okay. Right. So we all have a rule, basically. Um, so, yeah, I mean, hindsight, I mean, you know what I know now? Yeah, we should have just done it. You know, one <laughs> thing would have got fired. You'd be on the talk show yeah, circuit. You'd, you'd write a book. You'd oh, be, yeah. You know, yeah. We'd all it's live in infamy. Yeah. But, you know, back then, nobody knew that. <laughs> so, yeah. But, yeah, it, we watched him drive by, which was kind of crazy. That is crazy. That is that, that's a great story. I mean, the, the people I get on my show telling me these amazing stories. It's like it reminds me when I had the two guys on back at WBY when I was uh, had a radio sh- uh, show at a regular station, and I was asked about stand down orders in Benghazi, and these two guys in the military called in. So, yep, totally different theaters. You know, one was in Italy and the other one was in the Mediterranean on a ship somewhere, and they both called in. So, yep, we got stand down orders. I can confirm it. I'm like, okay, <laughs> now I'm good. Um, right. So, what is it about local law enforcement? that you liked as compared to even county sheriffs or state police, you know, the, 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 the highway patrol, the chips, um, or even the, the feds, the FBI, let's kind of work through the different levels and, and tell me what's different about them. Um, so local is usually just at one city. Okay. So you live in, you know, whatever city is Los Angeles, not Los Angeles, because they're broken up, but let's say it's Torrance. They have a local okay. police department. That's Torrance. Mm-hmm. They patrol mm-hmm. that area. Now they have police power statewide. But they don't now, you know, generally speaking, they don't go out in the state and enforce other laws. Unless OJ is driving by. Sheriff's Department. <laughs> in which case. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> All right, I'm yeah. still going to reserve that forever. So, oh, um, I'm going to bring it back at, at many opportunities. This is fun. Yeah, anyway. But, oh, but absolutely, ahead, so, so. yeah. <laughs> I could <do> so. <laughs> Well, back to our analysis. Yeah. Right. County is, patrols the whole county. You know, mm-hmm. so Los Angeles County, they'll patrol the county, but they also contract the cities, too. So let's say um, – Compton can't afford their police department anymore. 
they'll hire the sheriff's department to come in under contract to patrol. Oh, the interesting. And like unincorporated right. areas too. They use they use county sheriffs as well, yeah. right? Yeah, okay. absolutely. Yeah, so unincorporated areas and plus some of the cities do it as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Then you've got you know the state police, which are statewide. Mm-hmm. Then the CHP, which is, handles all the roads, basically the freeways, things like that. Right. Um, and they're statewide as well. And then you can go to the federal level with the you know. Fed so uh, I'm more like curious why you pick local and why you stayed local as opposed to moving up to California Highway Patrol or or the federal. Uh, different like DEA, FBI, things like that. So let's let's go county sheriff. Did you? Because the county sheriff to me is is a, is a great place to be because the sheriffs are constitutional. They're elected. They can do things that a lot of law enforcement, like police chiefs, can't do without getting fired. So sure. at the time though, um, mm-hmm. and even now, so the, for like the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department, you had to spend a minimum of two to three years in working in their custody in jail before you can get on the streets. Oh, and that didn't how exciting. To yeah, no kidding. Okay. So okay, I didn't want I to have to that. sit and work in a jail setting for two or three years before I could actually get on the street. Okay. And, and that was just me. That, there's some value in that. Don't get me wrong. But mm-hmm. it just wasn't for me. Um, yeah, but you're going to get jaded. So you're, I, going to I, see, you're going to deal with, with criminals, and then you're going to go out you know, and talk to normal people again. <laughs> I don't know. I, just, I, I would think that would slant your view of life a little bit. Yeah, I can. Well, but you it could, you, if you use this as a learning opportunity, it works as well, though, because then you get to see the criminals. You get to see how they interact. You, you can learn from it as well. So there is some benefit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure as well. Okay, Pianchi, you had a question? Well, my or question comment? is this. Now, when you got these federal officials, FBI, or don't they have to check in with the sheriff before they go knocking on doors in your territory? They're supposed to check in. It's one of those. It's not necessarily a, a hard and fast rule. And half the time they do, half the time they don't. See, yeah, they I would arrest, check in. I would arrest them for that. Yeah, we, uh, John, just to let you know, we're very big on uh, uh, on state powers and uh, local powers as opposed to the federal powers. Uh, I actually have a bill to disarm the entire federal bureaucracy, all 287,000 uh, agents, because the Constitution only has three crimes, uh, treason, bribery, uh, no, is it treason, uh, counterfeiting, and uh, piracy. Those are the only crimes mentioned in the Constitution. Treason is defined by Congress in times of war, uh, and the U.S. Marshals can handle the traitors. Uh, counterfeiting, that's the Secret Service, uh, and they should go back to Treasury and handle that. And piracy, you know, if you're on the high seas, that would be the, the Navy, <laughs> you know, the Coast Guard. You know, if you're in the air, that would be the Air Force or the State National Guard. If you're on land, uh, state police. So there's nobody that really should be armed in the federal government except maybe the U.S. Marshals and the, and the uh, Secret Service. That's it. So there's really nothing they should be handling. Yeah. There should not be an FBI in your state doing things, you know, that you don't know about as a local law enforcement officer. To me, I wouldn't even – if they want to come in, be investigators, sure, but the, all the guns should be carried by the local police because you know the people. So uh, just to sort of expand on what Pianchi was saying, do you have any new with the FBI folks that you, you'd like to share at this time? I'd be curious. You cut out a little bit. I'm sorry. Oh, I did? Yeah, I just what, missed oh. the question. Oh, okay. It so, might have been my end, so it's hard. No, okay. Did you have any interactions with the FBI um, that were that uh, you know might cause you a little grief? You know, how were they? How did they treat you as as the uh, the local law enforcement and the people with jurisdiction in that local area? Locally, we generally my interaction was never. We never really got along. They, that's that college degree problem, right? If you come in thinking you're superior. You come in thinking you know better. You come in thinking you're going to take everything over. It doesn't sit well with people like us, especially A-type personalities, who work in the street. Um, and that's always been the tension between them. Uh, and, and generally speaking, we're on different 
wavelengths. Like you said, if we know the street, we understand how to operate in the street. Mm-hmm. You come in and with some half-assed plan or no plan at all or change the protocols because it wanted to suit you, that's not going to work for us. It's just not safe in a lot of environments. Right. So, you know, that's, that's the kind of interaction we always had with them. And it's always, they always had that kind of a superior mindset. Um, you know, we're the feds, we're the FBI. We'll take it from here type of thing. It's almost like the classic movie scene. Right. Yeah, no, I, I think there's several like Bruce Willis movies come to mind. He's like, well, we'll uh, when we commandeer your men, we'll let you know. It's like, no, you can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> they don't even have that right. jurisdiction. And this is this is something fascinating to me. The FBI has no jurisdiction. The, there's nothing in the Constitution that calls for a national police force. They can't even be armed. And yet they're roaming around the country telling local and state law enforcement what to do. It's the states that have the law enforcement power, from the state police to the county sheriffs to the local law enforcement. These people have no jurisdiction constitutionally, and yet with their superior attitudes and their, their masters in criminal, you know, psychology and whatever else they've got, you know, walk in and tell you what to do with people that, you know, because you, you know, if you live in that area, you, you know, all the, the, the criminals cause you've watched them grow up, you know, you know who well, they just are. Like the cool. FBI killed this man uh, that had all the guns and was supposed to have been uh, threatening Joe Biden. They should have checked in with the sheriff. The sheriff probably knew that man. That's and a I great think he point. Was a wheelchair, but I'm not sure. But think about John, that. Do you know Chris, that one? Talk about it. Yeah, that's a, that's a, yeah, that's a whole question. Tell me about that. That huh? whole thing is scandalous, and okay. those guys, something's not right there. Hundred percent. Well, tell me more. Uh, what, what do you think? Why would they? Is this? Is this like? I mean, the worst case scenario is Waco, the FBI, ATF go in and kill a whole community. What, regardless of what you think of that community, um, you know, they walked in, and killed them, burned them, and they ended up buried in the ground. You know, and so yeah. talk about not due process, you know, and if the local law enforcement, the sheriffs would have handled it, the, they would just say, hey, David, come on in. We've got to talk. Oh, OK, fine. You know, he used to talk to the sheriff all the time. So a totally right. outrageous situation. But let's talk about this one here. So we've got a guy who was, a, I guess, wheelchair bound or crippled, you know, made some really stupid posts on Facebook. I mean, he's, he's, you know, I mean, but that doesn't you shouldn't be assassinated for that. So what's going on? Who, who are these people that, that run our federal law enforcement now? How can they do something like this? Uh that's a great question. I, I think they should be disbanded, frankly. So I, I think what they did there is probably, if not minimum immoral and unethical, uh, probably criminal. So is but, there any crime that or any situation that, uh, that the FBI thinks they can handle that couldn't be handled or either as well or better simply by state police and local police because you guys all know each other? Is there any need for an FBI oh. at all? No. Okay. Let's get <laughs> Short answer. No. no, I mean, that, that, that's, so, that's, so that's, know, this I, maybe it's a really their fingerprint example. bank or their, their DNA sample bank, but, but uh, as far as actual yeah, enforcement? That, that's a mess. That's a mess. Really? If you look at, oh, sure, their DNA samples, they're, they're backlogged years. Oh, I didn't know so, that. So, you know... Oh, absolutely. So even you should tell Congress. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I need to get to so, talk to oh, my congressman. Yeah, my congressman's Matt Gates. Uh, yeah, so that, I have that's a, a stack yeah. forever. Interesting. Um, so yeah, what they're they are totally they're beyond repair at this point. They they need okay. to scrap it. I need to send the show to Matt Gates. He, he needs to get rid of the FBI. That'd be a good thing. We've talked about that for years anyway. Okay. No, so let's before so we run out. Can, of, can we talk about? Go ahead. Of, I just want because you asked about that incident where the guy got shot at the wheelchair right. uh, who was threatening uh, the Biden. Um, that never should have happened. There was a, a 100% better way that that should have been handled where no bloodshed would have happened at all. How? But they, they chose to take a 
position and a stance and a tactic that almost forced that issue to occur. Right. How would you have handled it? So you've got a guy, so you've got a guy that's in a wheelchair mm-hmm. who physically can't even carry out the threat. But let's assume that you think that he might be able to. He belongs to a local church, mm-hmm. right? Uh, apparently he's active in that church. Mm-hmm. So instead of either going to that pastor and saying, hey, look, we've got to talk to this guy. He's having some issues. We want to make sure everything's okay. Can you call him and have him come in? Right? Mm-hmm. And then when he gets in his car, make a traffic stop and contact him and then take him into custody. Or better yet, just wait. He goes to church every Sunday. Yeah. You wait till he gets in his car. He drives to the church. You again, make a traffic stop, contact him, take him out of the car and take him into custody. Problem solved. But what do they do? That's brilliant. They do a pre-dawn yeah. raid mm-hmm. with flashbangs mm-hmm. and force the issue. And then uh, conveniently, they won't either release the body cam information or they don't have it. Yeah, this is a problem I have, uh, you know, as, as a person that is rather controversial. You know, we have a, our legislative arm of here at WriteYourLaws.com. We're writing all kinds of bills, one of which is to disarm the feds. You know, what if they decide you know, to raid my place and it's the middle of the night. How am I going to know, you know, in my, in my sleeping stupor, how am I going to know if it's a home invasion by a criminal or whether who's saying they're FBI or whether it's real FBI, you know, it's one of those split second decisions. And if I'm wrong, um, you know, I could get killed by the home invader. (laughs) And if I'm wrong again, you know, I could get killed by Mm -hmm. the FBI simply for trying to defend myself. And I think a lot of sure. a lot of us activists think about that. So what are we supposed to do? How do we make that decision split second? And we wouldn't have to make that decision if the FBI the FBI wants to talk to me, they can call. They can call the show. Hear that FBI <laughs> KGB? I know you're out there listening. You know, I mean or just talk okay. to me. I, I you know, I wouldn't invite him into my place, but I, I could uh, I could go meet with a lawyer. Sure, you want to talk to me? I'll talk. Mm-hmm. Sure. What's your problem? Yeah, <laughs> you so, but I'm not gonna so comment, I'm not gonna comment, do, uh, yeah, I'm not going to give up my rights. I'm not going to, uh, you know. And so this is this is a, this is a dilemma for for activists now because of, you know, you, if you you can get a pre-dawn raid and get killed simply for making some really stupid posts on Facebook, and they were really stupid posts. Sure, but you don't get you should. And that's no, another thing. Okay, and then I want to get to the, his academy. All right. Whites are treated differently. Whites are abused more so than blacks. And where's the news media? Where's the press conference? If that was a black person, it would be all over the news. But this is a white person whose civil rights was violated. He was murdered, gunned down, slaughtered by the FBI. Then you don't hear no marching, no tearing up buildings, no rioting, no looting. That's a good point. Yeah, no, I I agree. I agree. So the last last point on this would be the the easiest and best topic, even for SWAT teams now, is what's called a surround and call out. You surround the business, you surround the building, you surround the house, and you mm-hmm. call inside there and you call them out of the house. If they refuse to come out, then you've got to change your tactics a little bit. But there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with waiting. There's nothing yeah, wrong with Yeah, what's the rush? So we'll use you as an example. The FBI is going to come and raid you. Mm-hmm. So they surround your house, they make a phone mm-hmm. call, and they say, hey, look, we're outside, we've got a warrant, you need to come out. Mm-hmm. You, being a normal person, say, okay, I'm going to come out. I don't want to, but I'm going to come out with my hands up so I don't get yeah. killed. Yeah, let me put my shoes on first. <laughs> yeah, I mean, let me, sure. you know. Yeah, no. yeah absolutely. <laughs> instead of, instead yeah. of kicking in your door, 
throwing tear gas in, throwing a flashbang in, and having five guys yell and scream at you. Right. With guns you see, that makes much more sense. That's, that's infinitely, you know, and if they have a problem, then the, the, that, that's, that makes so much more sense. The whole idea is, is why would they go for the most extreme, most violent, unless they enjoy it? I think they enjoy it. That or they're proving a political point. Well, that too. We're going to, I need you. Uh, by the yeah, I need you as a regular guest also. What I'm thinking of is having you and Candace, <laughs> you know, split, I'm serious, split an hour. Like she'll take the first half hour, you take the second half hour, uh, if we can do that. We'll just like focus on one thing. If you're interested, let me know. Think about it, no rush. But I think you two would be dynamite um, to have on it no. as, as regular reporters because we have so much that we need to talk about, uh, especially in terms of law enforcement. All right. Um, yeah, if you want to do, you can tell me now if you're interested. But I, I, I certainly want you to. <laughs> no, absolutely. You to think about it. I, I actually caught the last like ten minutes of her interview. She sounded fantastic. This is great. So, yeah. yeah. So it was great to listen to. Um, yeah, definitely interested. So yeah, let me know. So what I'll probably do is have you guys overlap a little bit. You know, get her to stay an extra five minutes, and you about five minutes early, give you like a ten minute overlap. Uh, this is yeah. Pianki. Isn't this similar to what we had before? We had Jim Dykes of Florida Carry, and we had Shirley Watchell of uh, DC Project. And so it's almost like history's well, repeating itself here. Lady, the uh-huh. last lady go against everything that the left thought. She, one thing, she's got 12 kids. Yeah. Well, well look um, at John. I mean, John, well, we haven't even gotten to the Women's Firearm Academy. We've got to tell that story. <laughs> but uh, here, here we've got a guy that has uh, no respect for the <laughs> FBI, thinks they're a bunch of thugs, and, uh, and has much better ways to handle things. And they just don't, excuse me, and they just don't do it. All right. Let's, before we run out of hour, <laughs> well, we can't go a little bit <laughs> But uh, before we were, let's let's get to how you went from uh, a Torrance cop to uh, running a woman's a woman's firearms academy. This, like, I still find this amusing, right? Um, you know, up in Montana. So tell us that story. Yeah. So when we moved up here, um, I had always been doing some form of training, uh, mm-hmm. either you know instruction or teaching, whatever it happened to be. So I brought mm-hmm. that up here and was doing it on the side. And happened to hook up with uh, the original founder of the Women's Fire Academy probably mm-hmm. five, six years ago now. Mm-hmm. And she was primarily was she focused on firearms. Oh, she was yes, a dude too. she was a woman. Okay, yeah, no, she checking. was a woman for sure. Um, yeah, it's a good question. You know, you got it. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, her primary focus was firearms, hence the name. Um, right. So when we kind of got together, we started incorporating a lot of our stuff, which was more of the awareness, uh, hands-on, self-defense, and then the mindset mm-hmm. and the legal training as mm-hmm. well. Um, like you mentioned, it's cold up here. So she got tired of the cold and decided she wanted to kind of go someplace warm, which was good for her. Uh, yeah. Asked if we wanted to take it over three, four years ago now. Uh, and we did. And so we've been running ever since. But she's got a pretty strong, you know, conservative self-defense culture there in Montana anyway. So so what do, speaking, folks, yeah. what do folks need to learn that they're not getting, you know, just growing up as opposed to like an L.A. liberal family who'd never heard of a gun? Wouldn't, wouldn't recognize, uh, you know, which end to look at, you know. <laughs> right. Uh, part of it's some formal training, right? Okay. Uh, a lot of that. It, usually it's, we get a ton of women that, you know, either had a bad experience with a gun, which mm-hmm. is, you know, Uncle Buck took them out and gave them a 12-gauge when they were 10 and knocked right. them on their butt and everybody thought it was No fun. hearing protection, you know, all kinds of stuff. Right. right? Yeah. Sure. Ugh, or, you know, um, husband, boyfriend, whoever, friend of the family, you know, put some hand cannon in their hand and did the same thing. Because <sighs> they thought it'd be right. funny. Do you find that a lot? I mean, are guys that stupid that they're, they're going to give like a 44 Magnum to, uh, you know, an 18 year old uh, teenager, you know, just uh, just to show how, how tough they are, 
you know, and make her look silly. I mean, is that kind of crap still going? Uh, I guess it does. Yeah, unfortunately. You know, we're guys, we're retarded. Uh, you know, yeah. we, well, uh, we're, not we, all of we us. definitely not have our time. issues. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. But, um, you know, we do have our issues, and right. our sense of humor are different probably a little bit. But I, there's, there's also the flip side to that, too. There's a lot of guys that are well-meaning and mm-hmm. well-intentioned, but they just don't understand how women work and how their bodies work and how they're different. So, you know, the classic girl gun is a revolver, right? Right. Uh-huh. So they, they'll go to the store and they'll say, okay, look, woman's looking for a gun. Guy will hand her a five-shot Smith & Wesson, you know, probably an air weight, and say, how's it feel in your hand? Perfect. Take it home with your gun, right? What they don't Except, account for is but right, they don't account for the, the recoil. Yeah. They don't account for yeah. the way it works. They also don't account really for the trigger press. You've got women that don't have the hand strength due to injuries or due to arthritis or because they're getting up there in age who can't physically pull that trigger five times. That's interesting. I never thought of that. And you don't have time necessarily to cock the hammer. That's a whole other operation. Sure. If it's hammer, unless you don't have the option. Right. That's even worse. Yeah. Light revolvers. Right. So, um, I, I owned one briefly. <laughs> you know, I'm a big guy. I'm six one, right? <laughs> right. You know, and I wouldn't shoot. I, I even owned a Walther PPK because I wanted to be James Bond. Those things suck to shoot. Right. <laughs> the caliber is too small. Sure. But they hurt. I got a little hand bite from that slide coming back, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. little guns suck. Yeah. Give me a big gun. I mean, big guns are much easier. And that, I mean, I've taught a few women sure. to shoot, and that's one thing I tell them. I said, you know, I'll take my, my six-inch, you know, three fifty-seven uh, Ruger GP100. Oh, it's a big gun. I said, but yeah, 38 specials. Look, this is going to be easy. Trust me. And they can shoot it. And they, they're, you know, after a few rounds, it's like, wow, this is kind of cool. Because it's a, it's a large gun. It's got the weight. So the recoil is minimal, especially with 38 specials in it. And they really enjoy it. And the, we're talking about women that aren't, you know, huge, strong brutes, maybe like candy. Uh, you know, but um, <laughs> she's sure. a trap. I really enjoy talking to her. Sure. But, uh, yeah. So, so we've, go we've got a class that say how to choose a gun. Right, and okay. we shoot. Um, I think we're thirteen, four different guns in that class, uh, all mm-hmm. ranges, the twenty-two all the way through the forty-five, at least two of each caliber plus a revolver. So we throw a lot of different options at them. Okay. But the Walther is a good example. That little James Bond gun, it feels great in your hand. Mm. Right, but it's but to shoot. <laughs> it really does. <laughs> right? But that's the common problem, especially for women and guns. Right. So a guy will buy a woman a gun. And mm-hmm. they'll hate it because it doesn't fit their hand properly. It has too much recoil. It's just not the right gun for them, right? Probably you can't buy a gun for somebody else. And this goes men to men too. You I cannot buy a gun for somebody else. Daughter. You can't do it. Go ahead, Bianchi. Right. I but you've got to have that experience. All right, wait, wait, wait. Let's go, Bianchi, first. I'll get back to John. Bianchi, what's your yeah, James Bond experience? Yeah, Walter. Yeah, uh-huh. does she like Walter. it? Does she like it? I have no complaints so far. She okay. got I mean, one. You got that, and she got a nine. Yeah, see, I think a 9mm is a better caliber anyway. And you can get a Glock that, that uh, is easier to shoot, uh, only a little bit bigger than a Walther. Uh, 380 Walthers. Oh, God. Awful guns. Mm-hmm. But they look really cool. Yeah. And they do feel good in your hand. You know, six hours, right. same thing. Exactly. I, I had a P220 <laughs> with uh, the, the single stack P220. Uh, it was a great gun. I couldn't shoot it. It was too small. The, the, the grip was too small. I got these lumberjack hands. So, you know. I need, I need the, the larger guns. I need double stacks. All right. So, Pianchi, yeah. did you have another point? I didn't, I didn't mean to um, – do we finish that well, with, the, with the Walther? Well, do you have an organization? Are you a head of any, uh, any uh, group? You know, Greg is head of uh, Write Your Own Laws, where people are taught how to write the laws which they wish to be 
uh, governed by, and I'm with Convention of States, who's uh, working to do an Article 5 uh, Constitutional Convention. And uh, Montana, I don't think, is on the list yet. So, you know, there's a lot to be gained from uh, all parties. Well, I think yeah, I mentioned no, before, sure. but I mean, just to be clear, let's, let's talk about your organization and uh, or company and uh, contact information, all that good stuff. Go ahead. Yeah. So, yeah, we're just a normal, uh, basically a business right now. We do do some uh, volunteer stuff as well as local organizations. We run a, a Babes and Bullets uh, chapter, which is uh, basically a what, free monthly meeting. What's, it, what's um, it called? Slowly. Babes and Bullets. Babes and Bullets. Okay, I love it. Yep. Yeah, so, so, yeah, John, so John runs the Women's Firearms Gap. I mean, we, we should get back to how, how that started. We know you took over from the, 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 the previous owner, um, but uh, how does that go over, uh, you know, a dude running the Women's Firearm Academy? Do you have women expecting a woman to run it, or and do you teach as well? Do you have women instructors? How is the organization structured? Uh, so generally, I do most of the training. We do have some women come in from time to time. Uh, okay. We've been really fortunate in the sense that we, we kind of had a base from the previous owner, and a lot of those people carried over to us, which was fantastic. Um, Good. They bought into us as an organization personally as well. Uh, mm-hmm. We're just fortunate in that sense. Uh, we're kind of an anomaly in the industry, especially around here, is that you know, any kind of training industry, especially firearms, you, they're usually one-offs, right? You'll see the person one time, you'll never see them again. Oh. And our return rate has got to be That's close weird. to the 80 85, 90 percent rate where people will come back for more classes and different things, uh, especially our mindset stuff, especially our legal stuff. Um, you know, so we cover oh. lots of self-defense. We cover what your mind and body are going to do under stress. We talk about a ton of self-defense options, both hands-on and both the mental aspects as well as the awareness stuff. Blessed in the sense that, you know, we've got a larger course offering. We've got people to continue to keep coming back uh, time and time again to to keep learning. Do they travel to your school at all? Because you, I think, where, were you Whitefish or something like that? Yeah, so we're from Whitefish, Montana, kind of Flathead Valley, like northwestern Montana. But yeah, we've been really crazily enough fortunate for people to come across the state and from other states and Canada. Really? And, uh, a couple of them overseas as well. Got a little they airfield by the school? About us or had some friends. And you should have fly-ins. You know, do you have an airfield nearby? We're actually, yeah. yes, we've got a smaller Whitefish. We're also, we're 10 minutes from Glacier International Airport. Oh, okay. Yeah, so we're real close to uh, Glacier National Park, probably 35 minutes away. Ooh, beautiful country, except in the wintertime. Yeah. <laughs> I'll come to you in the spring or fall. That's about it. Summer's too hot, right. and winter's too cold. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's, it means you get four seasons, but you get the extreme four seasons. You get, you know, really uh, pretty outrageous there. So yeah. do you have competitions? Do you have a shooting league? Do you have, are you part, do you have your own range? Uh, do you go to a different range? How, how does it all work? So we're, we're fortunate we get to shoot on our property most of the time. And then in the wintertime and other times, we have a range that we belong to. Uh, it's a local range. It's actually underground, which is kind of a trip. Uh, so everything's underground. Oh, the bunker. So, yeah, it's a five. It's called the bunker? Yeah, kind of. It's a five <laughs> pistol lanes and three rifle lanes. So the, the rifle lanes are 100 yards out, and they're in a sauna tube, like one of those eight-foot sauna tubes. And that runs all the what? way out so people can uh, sight the rifles and do all that kind of stuff. and. Yeah, so we, What's we've a got sauna tube? Uh, you know those big, like, corrugated metal tubes? Oh. Um, so think of it in terms of like a like an eight-foot big uh, underground sewage pipe. 
Yeah, I am. It's kind of I'm metal. Shooting, shooting. It must be loud. I'm trying to think shooting through that sounds very loud. Uh, yeah, it's not too bad. I mean, we're hair in protection, but it's actually not as loud as you would think. Huh. Yeah. I, got Marco in, uh, I got Marco in the Netherlands who's, uh, who listens to us and he types in. Uh, so he says, I can't have a gun, not allowed. Uh, but he can buy something and there's a, oh, airsoft guns. So, you know, it'd be really interesting to do, because we do have a lot of European listeners. We need to get the rest of the world to be able to have Second Amendment rights. I'm not sure how to do that. Uh, I'd like to sort of get some of our gun organizations together. But what do you say, you know, what about these countries? You know, do, do you get folks from European countries or from Asian countries that just have never shot a gun and they can't own one in their own country? It's so yeah, different for sure. or Canadians, because Canadians are right across the border. Yeah. They, they can't own handguns anymore. So do you have international folks coming in? So. It's a trip. It's just a totally different thing, right? Most of those people are terrified of them because they've never even handled one. And you huh. see them on TV. And that's their reference point. It's either, you know, they're victim of a crime or the reference point is, you know, John Wick. Yeah. So a little different real life idea. folks. <laughs> <laughs> right. A little exactly. louder. You have to reload them. Exactly. <laughs> you know. Uh, but, you know, uh, truthfully, yeah. for, for those people, you know, mm-hmm. a gun is a great equalizer. Don't get me mm-hmm. wrong. But mm-hmm. it's a tool for a really small subset of problems. You're five times more likely to be involved in something where a gun's not moral, ethical, or even legal to use. Right. So you need to have some awareness skills. You need to have some hands-on skills. You know, that's hands-on is in, as in physical, yeah. like like martial arts or self-defense or basic techniques or what? What do you think? What uh, do you self-defense. Teach? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, so All we right. do um, we do general self-defense. It's not martial arts or sports related. Right. And it's based on your body mechanics. So mm-hmm. women are far more stronger, are far stronger than they think if you teach them how to use your body right. And so are you. Um, so it's not about brute force. It's about using your body in the right way. And it's stuff that's based on real-world violent encounters. So it's not mm. theory. It's not a sport. There aren't any rules. Right? So like our advanced class, I've got women in that class that are north of you know, 65, 70 years mm-hmm. old. They could stop a full mm-hmm. punch from me. Really? And, and then get Good into them. Yeah. 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 So if you teach how to use a body right and give them a little confidence, it, it goes a long way. But well, really your leg strength, lower center of gravity, I guess, you know, the, the, you know, the legs are more important in terms of self-defense, sure, right? But, but it's more yeah, than that. Uh, yes or no. It's, it's more than that. Uh, we okay. really teach you how to set, how you set yourself up in a way that you don't look like you're ready to hurt somebody, but you might have to. Um, mm-hmm. Plus, we teach about, a lot about uh, pre-attack indicators what to look for. What's the tell? What are you going to see right. before that attack happens? Mm-hmm. Right. Our, our main focus really is what happened before the fight. If you can teach someone to see what happens before the fight, they don't have to be in the fight. Hmm. Yeah. Nobody That's wins a fight. You, you just lose less, but uh, nobody wins a fight. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> comes out with sure. the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Right. Do you teach uh, yeah. knife defense or knife weapons, edge weapons? But it kind of falls in the same vein. So it's all kind of encompassing. So all of our okay. stuff kind of inter, interacts or inter, interrelates, is interconnected. Um, hmm. Most of it's mental. You know, 95% of self-defense is mental. You know, even shooting a gun is mental, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, I agree with you. I, mean, I, I do it as a philosophy. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, a, yeah. you know, and, no, and the, sure. the sim- no, I'm serious, but the similarities between flying and shooting and sailing uh, and archery and all these things, the guitar playing, yeah. They're very similar philosophically in terms of the zone that you get into and the mindset and the discipline and the exclusion of anything else in your brain. 
you know, the, of what not to think about. It's, it's, they're all very similar, I find. Yeah, for sure. It's not a natural act, right? It's not natural to have a small explosion going off in your hand and no. then throwing hot lead at something at 1,200 feet per second. Mm-hmm. It's not natural yeah. to get into an airplane and fly. What well, is for me, but you know, I was kind of born to it. Um, but uh, but it's no, it's not. And I, I, I've, told, I've, said, I've said exactly the same thing to people. I said, if you're not a little bit worried or a little bit nervous before we go flying, I'm worried because this is not natural, right. <laughs> you know. But uh, but after they've been up for a little while, it's like yeah. Then you just become part of the airplane and away you go. I'm still waiting for my Blue Angels ride. So if the Blue Angels are listening, nice. you know, I'm here. <laughs> I'm Thirty minutes from Pensacola. Okay, guys, you know, just you know. Anyway, we got. Uh, Right. 90 seconds left, but we might go a little overtime. Let's, uh, so, Marco, Netherlands, hey, you take care. Have a great weekend because uh, we lose people when we uh, we get to the top of the hour. Anything we haven't covered? I mean, uh, any of the programs and things? Well, oh, yeah, go ahead. Let's do that. Let's get all your contact information. Yeah, so you can get your, uh, our website uh, at uh, com. Uh, phone number is 406-318-7233. And you can always email us as well through the website. Um, and that, that kind of goes for our stuff that's on topic and off topic. Uh, mm-hmm. we're, we're fortunate that we get a lot of contacts from a lot of people, even, you know, countrywide and globally. Uh, just ask about self-defense situations, ask about scenarios that will run things by us. Um, and we're happy to answer it. We're happy to be there for them. See, those would be really interesting. I'd be curious what uh, what different people in different countries, especially, uh, I don't know if you get to communist countries, oppressed countries, you know, uh, Middle East theocracies, <laughs> you know, I mean, it'd be very interesting. Uh, we don't want names, of course, you know, we want to protect people. But uh, as far as that goes, um, especially since we have an international audience, I, we got folks in Cuba listening. You want to talk about political, and that's real close to us. You know, so right. it's it's a, right. it's a very interesting uh, uh, group of people that listen to us. So what I'd be curious about, I'll tell you, a lot of times, it, you know, is the uh, the law enforcement aspects. You know, the crimes that went wrong, the things that uh, you'd be a great analyst for for law enforcement screw ups. <laughs> you know what they should have done. You know, uh, or what the mindset is and why they're doing, and the training and the the attitude. You know, as, did we cover on? We got college degrees. There were three things we were going to talk about, and then we'll sort of end on this. So the three problems here were college degrees, affirmative action, and what was the third one? Do you remember? Uh, no. Let's go with affirmative action. Because <laughs> this to me, you, you cannot make a police force by skin color. It ain't going to work. No, I agree. You can't make it by lowering the standards either. And that that's when the standards started standards. to lower. Okay. Right. And, and that kind of fall, fell into affirmative action as well. So if you're filling quotas, you're not going to get the candidates you used to get. Right. right? So it, for a long time, it took me... I think it was over, it was almost eight months to pass their background mm-hmm. check because it was involved. There's a lot of stuff right. going on in that. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of things you couldn't do. It was prohibitive. Um, so drug use was a good example, right? You couldn't use any hardcore drugs or major drugs, right? And it was never a problem because it wasn't my thing. But now right. you've got guys that have used cocaine regularly that are getting hired, right? And then you wonder oh, why boy. you have bad things happening. Yeah. Right. And that's just one example of uh, gang membership, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, LA County Sheriff's Department just had that scandal with all the guys that had the gang tattoos. They were, they were their own gang within the Sheriff's Department. Mm-hmm. Right? You, you pull them out mm-hmm. of a culture, you lower your standards, and you put them back into a culture where now they have authority over other people. Right. That's just a recipe for disaster. Well, the four cops that beat up somebody that were gang members themselves, I think, at one point. I forget where that was. Right. Tennessee, um, you know, Kentucky, yeah, somewhere in there. It, yeah, it was one of those, yeah, one of those states. Yeah. Memphis. Yeah. Memphis. Yeah. Okay, there yeah, we go. No, that was in, yeah. uh, I think, Mississippi. 
Yes, oh, okay. Yeah, that's kind of we have a lot of problems. It's gotten to, to the okay. point where it's just a slip of a coin, so. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, you know, here's the thing, if I could say this. I sure. kind of sympathize with the police because in today's time, you're running up against people who have had no respect for authority at home, no respect for authority at school, and then when they come out into the public, they have no respect for authority that's given the right to have authority over them. And uh, sooner or later, even the most sane police officer will be taxed to the to the greatest extent. Yeah, I was yeah, watching the Philadelphia looters on the on the video last night, and you've got people um, by the hundreds just going into stores. And there's this one uh, uh, woman who's who's uh, you know the media darling, uh, black woman, and the you know uh, who's talking about all the looters. And it's interesting, you know, just to be right, you know, it's fascinating that most of the looters are black. And I, I, we should talk about that, too, but it's, I don't know if that, how that works with law enforcement. So we should uh, – at some point I want to get into um, – what was it, the Michael Brown, that whole scenario. Um, that's a whole different thing, too. There's many things we can talk about. This is interesting. But the, but the point of that um, – I forgot the point I was going to make. Anyway, um, there's that no authority. There's no respect for authority. And yeah, She's exciting uh, a ride. What yeah. She was and, well, well, I think she's got six felony charges, but the attitude is that uh, looting is okay because, you know, the people deserve it. I mean, how do you, as a cop, what do you do with that kind of attitude? You do your job. And that's kind of the way I see it. So they, don't take this the wrong way. <clears throat> Excuse me. I was a cop. I'm pro-cop, but I do reserve right. the right to pick on them. Right. So reserve the right to what? need some accountability. I reserve the right to pick on them. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. Right, to, okay. to call them out. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing with the job is we all signed on the dotted line. We knew the job was mm-hmm. dangerous. We knew we were going to have to get our hands dirty at some point. Right. And I think that's what's changed as well. So going back to what's changed in law enforcement, most mm-hmm. people don't want to engage, don't want to get their hands dirty, and that leads to that downfall and breakdown to the looting, right? Because now looters can do it because no one's going to do anything or enforce it. Right. So even back then, you know, we got complaints. We got sued. It wasn't great. We didn't like it, but we also knew we did a job, and that's what we signed up for. And, and I, I think I that's think, why you're seeing a lot more shootings. Yeah. They don't even want to do the job. Shootings of police shootings because they can't handle police the shootings. job? They can't handle the because pressure? They, they won't put, they, well, because they won't put their hands on somebody. They won't do something in the interim. It's oh, either it's zero to ten. That's right? interesting. Of force, it's zero right. to ten for them now. It's I've got a gun. That's my, that's my tool to solve every problem now. Whereas As opposed to voice, incidents, force, sure. physical well, force, restraints, sure. handcuffs, you know, all Absolutely. batons, you know, tasers. There's like a whole variety of uh, pepper spray. There's a whole lot of tools that you can use that are non-lethal. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I think a lot of these incidents, you go back and look at them, they could have been solved at the very beginning and not escalated to the point where someone was killed. Right. We have a lot to talk about, John. I'm really glad to have you on the show. Um, let's, no, I'm serious. We, I, I hold it now only because it's the weekend and we, we, we should get going. Um, but, um, and we have more topics. So think about it. Think about maybe like a half-hour thing where you, you have uh, you do a variety of stuff, whatever the, the, the crime du jour is. We can do a crime report, self-defense situations that you hear about in the news, um, anything uh, that's going on with the Women's Firearms Academy, stories from international people. There's like a ton of things you can talk about. And if it sounds interesting, I'd really like to get uh, you and Candy to, to like split an hour. Uh, and that still leaves me an hour for us, which is good. 
because uh, you know I don't want to book up my entire week. But uh, I think it'd be really interesting, especially if I get you two crossing over, because you two are so different. You know, just between uh, between you and Candy, it'd be interesting. Especially, I can't wait for the crossover conversations. Um, but this is this is interesting. So that sounds good. No, I'm know. on board. Okay, good. All right. So I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you both off the air. We'll get it to, and this would be the, the, I would do it in the eight o'clock hour. So eight o'clock central time, which I think is better for you anyway, if I remember. So you should be yeah. like eight to eight thirty, eight thirty to nine, nine o'clock. We, you know, at some point Candace is going to return. Uh, but in the meantime, I'll be looking for guests and things. Okay. So let's do the contact one more time. Women's Fire, Firearms Academy, Facebook websites, phone numbers, anything you want to give on that. And thank you, sir. It's been a pleasure to uh, meet you and uh, we'll talk soon. No, I appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity, and I uh, look forward to talking to you. So wait a minute. Oh, I need your information. Women's Fire. Oh, sorry. Website, Facebook, yeah, same phone. Websites, uh, <laughs> yeah, websites, www.womensfiremacademy.com. Uh, phone number is 406-318-7233, and reach out either either one of those will work for us. Okay. And if you missed that, because everybody talks fast on my show, because I do, <laughs> you know, listen to the podcast. It, you can repeat it yep. enough times, you'll get it. Perfect. Thanks, John. We'll talk soon. Talk no, thank Friday. you. All right. All right. Take, Take care. care. All right. Bye, Bye now. Pianki, any thoughts for the week? Any any concluding uh, issues that uh, we haven't covered? No, I got a busy weekend, so uh, okay. You just have to, to take a day at a time and be careful and wish for a good thing. The weather is cooling up, so that's a break. So well, it's better for bike riding, that's for sure. It's a lot nicer out there. Absolutely. And so I, I, I intend to spend more and more of my afternoons on the trail. And uh, it's just it, it, it's just getting nice there now, which is good. Right now, I'm hungry. <laughs> it's my dinner time. <laughs> I'm getting dinner time at 10 in the morning. Well, when you get up at 4, this is dinner time, trust me. All right, sir. Thank Absolutely. you for, for a great week. All right, thank and, you. Uh, we'll talk Monday. All right. All right, bye-bye. All right, bye now. And i got to figure out what I'm going to do Monday. I've got some ideas already. There's always stuff. I have all these stories at the bottom of my computer. Um, but, uh, you know, the beauty of the show is I don't have to talk about, you know, the, the goober debate or, uh, you know, I, I, Trump's speech was the best or that ridiculous hearing, um, the, the impeachment hearing. You notice we're not covering a lot of stuff that everybody else covers. That, and that's why. Because I don't care. You know, the impeachment hearing is bogus. What it should be is a, uh, is a treasonous hearing for stealing the White House. Where's the hearing on the coup? Where's the hearing on the stolen election? The impeachment hearing, you know, legitimates the coup. Because Brandon, you know, is being treated as a president and not as an imposter. So I don't, I don't approve of this impeachment hearing at all. It should be a, a hearing on the stolen election and the coup uh, and, and the treasonous uh, aspect of actually stealing our government and all complicit Democrats and Republicans that did it. That's what it should be. But that's why I haven't talked about it. Anyway, let me play a couple more uh, uh, announcements here, and we shall be back, as always, Monday morning, 7 a.m. Central Time, when we shall do it all again. Well, that sounds good. Even better. Okay, how about your car? If you want the best service for your vehicle, please talk to James at Florida Stores Automotive, conveniently located at 6715 Caroline Street in the historic district of Milton, Florida, right between the Milton Bakery and the Blackwater Trail. Whether you need an oil change or an entire engine replaced, this is the place. The phone number is 850-623-6651. That's 850-623-6651. Call, ask questions, and get the information you need. 
Florida Stores Automotive is a full-service automotive shop for both domestic and imports, modern and classic. It is a family-owned business here in our Milton community. Open weekdays from 7.30 to 5 p.m., Florida Stores Automotive is a convenient place to keep your car maintained and on the road. Ask them about Firestone Tires and the rotation and maintenance plan. Florida Stores Automotive. I go there. You should, too. And as always, we're looking for sponsors, and this is how you can get involved in that. Here at Action Radio, we are looking for sponsors. We have 30 and 60 second spots available for your announcements. And we have three-minute live call-ins to talk about your products and services available. Action Radio is the next evolution beyond talk radio. Join us and let us help your business evolve. Think about being a sponsor of the future and not just a listener. And help us help your business grow as you help us plunge headlong into breaking new ground here on Action Radio every day. This is Greg Penglis for Strike Force, your source for pure energy. Strike Force is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strike Force, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code WYL to the discount code window at checkout. W-Y-L comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at StrikeforceEnergy.com. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com. Start your engine. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.